Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanna. What's my last name? Uh, what's my any name? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) Uh, we're here first to speak about Point Blank, a 1967 film from director John Borman, who I straight up at the top uh errors and sins of omission last week i had my director john's confused because i was talking about lebowski because obviously we did cutter's way last week so we had lebowski on the mind and uh john borman was not the inspiration for walter it was john milius uh oh. director of uh, like sudden impact at least one or two of the later dirty harry films weird stuff too like uh, yeah, you you I, you know his work. I think he did the second, or no, he he did Conan. You know Conan the Barbarian with Arnold. Oh yeah, I you know I can't believe I've never seen those, but yeah, I definitely know about them. Oh cool, I I will have those coming from Arrow really soon, so those will be showing up in the stacks. Ooh, uh, the first cool. one's great. Uh, you got uh uh uh. Darth Vader, fuck, his name James is Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Uh, he's the villain. He's the Snake King. He's awesome. Oh man, I love James Earl Jones. Yeah, he he was also like, he he's just kind of he's a really wild dude. I realized it as soon as I was listening to the commentary track on this with John Borman and Steven Soderbergh uh, talking about the film because it's heavily inspired inspired a lot of uh, Soderbergh work, like The Limey. I don't know if you've seen The Limey with Terrence Stamp. Uh, no, I haven't seen that. Good movie, really. Uh, very much like this. Also, this was remade in the 90s with uh, Mel Gibson, Payback. I don't know if you saw that. Yes! Oh my god, I was thinking of Payback <laughs> as I saw this movie, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. This is like a way better version of Payback. Completely. And yeah, it's it's legitimately a remake. They're both based on the same book. Yeah, oh my god, like right down to the him. Only wanting a very specific yeah. amount of money. I just want the exact amount that was stolen from me, and that's all that I want. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a much more blunt version of it. It's much closer to the original novel, The Hunter by Richard Stark, uh, which I think I have a copy of the old pulp paperback kicking around here somewhere. I have a bunch of Starks, but I couldn't find it this week, so I didn't start reading that and also i was oh. trying to read castle of the carpathians by jules verne which we'll talk about that in part two <laughs> yeah i don't think payback had any of the cool uh dream or time stuff in it though it might have been based on the original script like the uh. the the payback script might be based on the original script which uh lee marvin got and was like yeah this is a bunch of garbage throw it away we'll start a new one uh and he hired <laughs> borman and he's like i give like lee marvin was a pretty big star at this point this is just after the dirty dozen mm-hmm. and the dirty dozen made him huge so they brought him on and they're like this is a character would be great for you and he's like i agree but this script's trash he brought in john borman he's like so i as the star have final cut and I'm allowed to choose the entire cast and everything. He's like, (laughs) yeah. It's like, all right, I cede all of that to John Borman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Borman just kind of got this. He he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. 
Well, it worked out. Uh, it, it totally worked out because he was a pretty new director. I think this was only his second movie. Before this, he'd done a movie about uh, the Dave Clark Five, like a sort of a sub Beatles, uh, like a, a Hard Day's Night ripoff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Called Catch Us If You Can, which I believe I've seen at some point. It's also called Having a Wild Weekend. I'm pretty sure I saw it at one point, and it's, you know, it's so-so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this one, it's, I mean, it's really experimental. I, I appreciate how, I mean, it is a Marion bed. It's a Marion bed. It's yeah. a lost highway. It's definitely an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen that last one. Uh, it's an episode, well, it was a short film uh, that was aired as an episode of The Twilight Zone. We talked about it when we watched lost highway because lost highway is the same sort of structure it's begins with the character dying and then potentially the rest of the movie could be their dying thoughts their dreams of revenge of their beliefs of what they're gonna do oh kind of like how one could interpret this movie maybe yeah yeah absolutely uh i i listened to the commentary track as i said uh uh at the beginning, uh, uh, Soderbergh directly asks him about that. That you know, there are the theory that uh, he's dead at the start of the movie, and that the rest of this is his dying thoughts. And uh, Borman does directly address the important thing is it's equivocal. Hmm. <laughs> so it, it's it's meant to be unclear. You're you're supposed to be filling the gaps. Again, it's it's a Marion Bad type thing where we're playing a game with the audience. <laughs> so yeah, it was listening to the commentary track that I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this isn't the guy that I was thinking of. This guy wasn't Walter. This is a soft spoken <laughs> British man. <laughs> I looked at him like John Millius, John Millius. Right. Of course. <laughs> Though I could see a Walter type writing Lee Marvin's character. Yeah, exactly. Just Cause I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of the, other movie, movies Borman has done because Borman's done some pretty wild movies like Deliverance and uh, uh, Zardoz, as we talked about last week. Yeah, so, right. Oh, man, I got to see both of those, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, both definitely in the stacks. We'll, we'll check them out sometime. So, yeah, we basically open with Walker dying. And it's arguable whether he dies or whether he somehow miraculously survives this <laughs> that's the thing we don't see anything that happens between him getting shot and then him having a really nice suit and beginning his uh rampage of revenge and meeting up with uh yost we don't right. know what happens at all in between there it, and it what we get filling in the gaps suggests that what happens is impossible because like he's he's in a prison cell in on alcatraz uh, mm -hmm. which is super cool great location they're actually yeah. at alcatraz and he's just oh, like they actually filmed it there oh yeah i mean how, oh, how do you fake it awesome. right well you could it's so if... distinct it's, it's such mm -hmm. an authentic location uh and i mean in the 60s it was kind of just a hulk uh there was a period where it was occupied by uh a group of natives like native americans who oh like occupied it as a political statement oh interesting i think that was around this time maybe a couple years later maybe a couple years earlier uh but anyway 
uh, Walker, Lee Marvin, is dying in this prison cell. And he's like, how did I get here? And it sort of feels like the whole movie could take place in this moment of him considering it. Yeah, because the whole flashback to how he got here is just so... It's basically an entire movie condensed into five minutes right there. And it's very dreamy, the the way Mm. time and space are compressed. Uh, the the memories just sort of echo through places. You'll have that same sort of Marion Bad thing where uh, someone's movement is matched, but they're they change to a completely different space, or both people are different. Yeah, like like throughout the movie, we'll keep cutting back to uh, him and his friend Mal, like on the floor in this sea of people, and yeah. uh, a scene that Weird I'm room. not sure entirely happened for real. It feels metaphorical. A lot of these early scenes feel like they're metaphorical. They're very imagistic. Uh, the The way things are set up has just a real deep foreboding to all of it. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we start with Mal basically assaulting him into joining the plan. Uh, like him attacking him and him like on top of him on this floor. We don't see the sea of people yet. We just see them, him like tackled onto the floor and like, join me, do this thing with me. You're the only one I can trust. <laughs> Don't you understand? I'm dead without this. I you're, need you. You're my friend, Walker. <laughs> I can't yeah. make it on my own. They're going to kill me if I don't get it. Yeah, I'm like, gotta oh, help my, my friend. friend. Help, friend. Yeah. <laughs> and it just <laughs> echoes in his mind. Oh man, and and that's that is such an iconic image of like Mal on top of him on the floor, and they keep cutting back to it. It's cool. That's the one I'm going to take away from this whole movie that I'm going to remember. I think. Well, because it also echoes with the other stuff. With uh, any any time he's with uh, Chris, the sister-in-law, uh, mm-hmm. any any time they're like their sex scene flashes back to this and like, Hey, that's the same position. That's kind of eerie. Yep. So uh, the, we, we get established in the planning of the, the heist that Walker was assured that there would be no killing. And then immediately Mel just blows these two dudes away. And Walker's like, we blew it. This, this is not what was supposed to be like, no, no, this was planned the whole time. No, we did it. No, we we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, and he's like really not happy with the situation, and he's kind of like, "Okay, I'm done with this. Can we just get this done? I'm really not happy with this situation." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, there ends up being like a lot less money than they expected it to be, which turns <laughs> out to be a huge problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go take care. Of... You better. It, it, yeah, the the wife who is in on this too. Uh, fuck, what's her name? uh lynn lynn that's it yeah she's like what's wrong is there not as much you better take care of your husband well i don't think she's fully in on it either i think she realizes like we know that she's cheating on him and that that's pretty evident right away that um she calls mal darling oh yeah though they're they're definitely together i think that's that's clear no i don't think she's I don't think she's in on the plan. Oh, in fact, she no. I I think she's not in on the plan to kill Walker. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she is not. And I don't really know that there was a plan to. I think that was just <laughs> what Mel did because there wasn't enough money and he just panicked and that was his choice. 
Yeah, no, I agree. There, it it wasn't planned. I I don't feel like I don't feel like anyone has a plan at any point in this movie. (laughs) It's just chaos, and uh, I, I I consider Walker to be as sort of an undead force of just entropy, because if you notice, he never kills anyone in this movie. He just causes them to to kill each other or themselves. He he killed, he does kill Mal. No, he does not. Mal just falls over. Hmm. He he doesn't save him. (laughs) No. Okay. Okay. From yeah, that's, that's true. You're right. (laughs) Mal just trips and falls off the roof naked. (laughs) Holy spoilers. um... (laughs) I'm trying to think. No, he he doesn't. He doesn't. No, the sniper. Oh man, everyone else is like sniped by somebody else. Yeah, he's <laughs> he just, just a harbinger of doom. He kind of moves the pieces into place, and then they all die. Uh, it, it's this force of entropy of this system eating itself. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that he wouldn't kill him. He just doesn't. Right, he wanted to, but then he kind of just doesn't at the last moment. And like, even when he goes to talk to Chris about it, she's like, "You didn't kill him. Why didn't you give that to yourself? Like, that would have been a gift to you." <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's also a thing of the revenge turning hollow, and he he just keeps changing what the revenge is about. You know, originally it's revenge. He needs to get back at this guy, but that happens early on. It's like, well. But I still need the money. I don't feel satisfied with this revenge. But then yeah, he's never think, satisfied. Yeah, no, he, it's just... Even if he got he the, money the money back. Money. Will, he never gets the money. But even if he got the money, I mean, it doesn't get back... He, he, he There's no getting back what he lost. I mean, he's theoretically dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if he's not dead, he's at least having a psychotic break, but... I mean, it's Maybe more both. likely that he's dead. I, yeah. I feel like, you know, it's a, him, his dying thoughts kind of thing, but it, it could all just, it, it could be him as a ghost haunting them after this as well. It could be, yeah. Because he <laughs> Actually, has sort of a of supernatural energy to him. <laughs> I mean, it's also oh, that Lee Marvin yes. kind of feels like a Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Astride. Uh, oh, so, yeah. So Mal and, or not Mal, uh, Walker and his wife, they're in one of the Alcatraz cells on a bed lying together. And Mal just kind of comes in in a panic and shoots Walter and the wife shrieks. And then it's just Walter or Walker in the cell again. It's like, did it happen? A dream. (laughs) And then it's over the opening titles. We see his impossible escape from the ruins of Alcatraz. It's just sort of him wandering badly wounded through the ruins yeah and then into the we surf. see him yeah at the water and then it seems like he's just going to <laughs> fall in the water and die because it doesn't seem yeah. like he could potentially have the uh physical energy to swim i mean we also get a voiceover with uh, <laughs> this lady doing a tour of, uh, of like a, a boat tour of the the san francisco bay yeah, and she's talking about how you can't swim over. The water is too cold. There's sharks. Um, you just she, can't do it. She talks about the several actual escapes that happened from Alcatraz when it was still a prison. And that, mm-hmm. you know, we know that these ones didn't survive. And then there's these ones that, I mean, there's no evidence. The bodies were never found. But, you know, the people were never found on in the world after that either. So the theory is that yeah. probably everybody died. Mm-hmm. 
but somehow it, we just sort of miraculously cut to him on the boat listening to this in just like a pristine <laughs> suit, totally clean, just no worse for wear. Yep, and no idea how much time has passed, but uh, it has to have been minimum three months. You would think, yeah. It's got to yep. be some time. It, well, it is, because that three months is when uh, Mal left uh, Mal left Lynn after the whole thing happened. I, I don't know if it was right away. It, I mean, it, it might not have been, but I feel it's like three it's, months since she yeah, left yeah. her. Yeah, there's at least I, I think it's probably more than that. Oh, for sure. But uh, he's talking to Yost, who we will later learn is also Fairfax. I thought for sure this guy was a crooked cop. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see that. It does seem like a guy who would be just kind of working things from the background. Keenan Wynn really funny in this i i really like his energy as yost <laughs> uh, just, i like it yeah. yeah he's fun i've seen him in just so much stuff he, he is one of these dudes who's in like 150 movies <laughs> nice uh he's in the goonies oh no kidding yeah uh just so much stuff uh, <laughs> crazy crazy filmography uh, so yeah, this is the two of them, and I love the shot of them in the ferry, and it's just the water above both of their heads. Uh, and one of the things that you'll notice, uh, one of the recurring phrases is, already dead. Everybody is talking to me like, oh, that guy's already dead, he doesn't even know it. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Kind of seems yeah. like everybody is kind of <laughs> just dead or waiting for the, for their death to catch up with them. Uh, and these two guys, yeah, they're just underwater. Like they kind of seem like they're both running this vengeance from beyond the grave. Uh, Yost slash Fairfax has a really—he seems like a real ghost. He just teleports in whenever he's needed. Yeah, he just shows up. He's just there. Uh, he just happened to be outside of uh, uh, Lynn's house right on the day that uh, Walker showed up there. Although that's a really weird scene in terms of the reality and time, because yes, things sort of disappear. So time passes, but it's not clear how. That that's the thing about a lot of this movie is, aside from the original uh, dream sequence, it is told in linear order. Pardon me, in linear order, or at least it appears to be. Hmm. But but we don't ever find out how much time passes in between scenes. Well, yeah, and the way scenes pass is strange. Like, they will pass in very abstract and dreamlike ways, uh, mm -hmm. suggesting a, a, a dreamlike reality to the whole thing, that none of it is real, that it's sort of someone's dying thoughts. So Yost is like, I want the organization. And he gives him the details, like, like your buddy Mal... He bought in with the $93,000 that you guys stole. So if you want the money, it's the organization that has it. But he he's the guy who writes the checks for the organization. We'll find out <laughs> later. So he knows that he can't, that they're not going to give him cash. Like he, he could personally write him a check, but Walker will not accept a check. <laughs> he even later on like they 
a different guy actually phones him and he's like, no, I won't authorize this transaction. <laughs> yeah. Well, because <laughs> he just, wants him to kill the guy. That, that's yeah. the whole idea. Uh, it's a funny scene when you know that that's who it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, a movie that repays rewatching. So he gives Walker Lynn's address and he's like, Reese lives there too. Uh, this is like, this is your wife's address. And Reese lives there too. Like, oh, okay. I, and this is the shot where it's the two of them with the ocean above their heads uh, outside the ferry windows. Uh, I didn't catch that one, but there are a, few, a bunch of other ones I did catch. I noticed there's a lot of uh, looking at Lee Marvin's face obscured through things like curtains or mm-hmm. screen doors or or mirrors. I didn't yeah. catch this one. Yeah, and a lot of echoing of mirrors, obviously. Very shortly, we get the So Walker Walks scene, which is fucking incredible. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Um this is the other one that I'll take away from this movie long after I've forgotten everything so else that happens. Good. So good. He just walks and it's amazing. It's him walking down this very long corridor. I would assume airport, maybe ferry terminal, given that they're getting off the ferry. Uh, and it's, he walks like a clock, you know, it's the tick-tock of entropy. It is time marching on and coming for all of them. I didn't realize that he marched exactly yeah it is an exact tick tock tick tock tick tock oh i hear perfect it rhythm yeah <laughs> and it continues even like as he's stopped walking as he's driving the car as he's standing looking at the house yeah it's all of his movements there but we still just hear him walking all the way that it's just <laughs> his implacable movement the, the, like it is unceasing he is the the force of time it just like there is nothing that can stop him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing that can stop him until, except for him getting where he's going, because that's what it stops. Right. Uh, it is kind of funny because you're, you're still hearing the tick-tock, tick-tock of his walk, even though you've seen him do all this stuff. And you've also seen all of these shots of Lynn preparing. It, it almost seems like, like she's getting she's getting all these beauty treatments there's a shot of her in uh a barber's or a, a salon chair and there's a window and it's her reflected into infinity in the windows next to her i love how like the very first footstep is her eyes darting awake like mm-hmm. she hears him coming but she doesn't know how much time she's got but then, of course, she can't. And then, and it, it's her, it, I find it really funny, like, it's her arriving home, and she closes the door behind her, but then immediately, then he bursts through the door, like, even <laughs> though she was just there, uh, somehow she, she didn't him, see it. But yeah. she didn't, yeah. And and there's a bunch of that, too, like, Yost does that a lot. Yeah, the, the two of them, I, again, they seem to have supernatural powers. They do teleport, like Jason. I do actually think that Walker has a supernatural power to make people uh, tell him what he wants to know. <laughs> yeah, tell the crime, tell the crime skeleton your secrets. He does have <laughs> that kind of energy. Like you show up, it's like the baleful stare of the zombie, and it's like, okay, I, I got to tell. Uh, it's it's like Ghost Rider's <laughs> penance stare. Mm-hmm. That could just be Lee Marvin. He's very intimidating. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. The hideous apartment that Lynn is in. Very grandiose. It feels like Marion Bad. It's very uh 
lots of filigree, lots of it's uh, it's all white. I, I don't know if you notice, but all of the scenes are color coded and each different location is dominated by a single color. Oh, no, I didn't. That's but it I noticed there. that the apartment's all white when the furniture vanishes. Very much more noticeable. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. her location is all white. Uh, oh. But it, it has a Marion bad flavor to it. The lots of just extreme ornamentation, but it's almost gross. Like it, it feels yeah. uh, disgusting, excessive, but it's very dismal. Like Donald Trump's apartment. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the way he runs in and he just pushes past her and he shoots the bed. Oh, which yeah, is just very psychological. That's very Freudian. And the the <laughs> way the, the bullets hit the bed and it, there's like little bursts of fire. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I love like, because we cut back to this scene a lot. I love just like the recoil. These shots feel more powerful than regular gunshots because the recoil pushes them back and we see that a lot like mm -hmm. we keep going back to that just the 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 um the catharsis of him being able to shoot the bed you know the marital bed that has been spoiled by the cheating and stuff although i do kind of theorize that the three of them were a thruple i do think so <laughs> i kind of uh, think <laughs> it was all three uh you know it's it's the end of what's love he's the one who got left out at the end <laughs> and then he comes back for revenge so it's, he's he's a little <laughs> motorcycle cop coming he's like he's really satan now he, now i am the devil <laughs> uh and then he goes into the bathroom and he busts up all of her perfume <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll go into there later and one of them is to remember that he's the one who did it well it's weird because one of them has unbroken and then it falls from his hand, and then it's in with all of these other broken ones. And it's like, oh yeah, that yeah. happened. But yeah, everything it's... else has been cleaned up somehow. It's weird that he drops the one, I, I thought. It feels like it just slips through his fingers. Uh, yeah. Like he doesn't have enough substance left in this place to hold something. Oh, his poltergeist powers wore off. <laughs> So he, I, I love, yeah, he shoots up the bed, then he busts up all the perfume, and then it, he's spent. He sits down, it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, and she comes and sits down next to him with the same kind of feel, like, all right. Well, <laughs> they, they both, like, it, it is a catatonic feeling of both of them being already dead. Mm -hmm. He's like, Reese left three months ago. And she's like, Walker, I'm glad you're not dead. It's true. I really am. <laughs> i'm just thinking how great it must be to be dead yeah she wants him to kill her she's <laughs> like i can't sleep i haven't slept does this mean she hasn't slept since what happened or does this mean she's not sleeping in peace yeah i mean I, it does kind of feel like maybe she has been dead for some time as well uh the like you say there's no real clear idea of the time of things he reports to people that she's died but i don't know how long it's been since she died when he tells them yeah um yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's just re it's really unclear because it seems like he's been squatting in this house for a very long time after this scene 
Yeah, it, I mean, it's totally been cleaned up and her body is gone. I mean, so she says she's been taking pills and that she's been dreaming about him, uh, which, again, it sort of feels like she's in that space there where he theoretically could be in this larger loop of him, his dying thoughts. This could be the loop of her dying thoughts kind of thing, him kind of hooking into that. Right, and she like, and for all we know, she could have died from the pills way before this happened yeah and the so th she starts talking about their marriage and how the sex got weird between them uh and i think it's to do with the arrival of reese and the three of them being a thing hmm. <laughs> and she just said that like reese was kind of fun uh when the sex between her and walker had kind of dried up so i just drifted into it <laughs> <laughs> you know that was the happiest time of my life yeah and she's like the attack at alcatraz i i didn't have anything to do with it that it things just totally spiraled outside of my control and we flash back to that first meeting she says then mel happened and it's this crazy shot of them in this unbelievably packed room full of men in suits some sort of reunion yep. thing i guess I guess it's never expanded upon. It's just they need to have a whole bunch of people there to make the iconic scene work. It's just <laughs> them, and it does. Yeah, pushing through this uh, dense sea of people. Uh, again, it feels very dreamlike. And oh, again, yeah. they, they go underwater together. Oh, uh, they totally do. They're both on the floor and they're in a an intimate kind of embrace they're lying on top of each other and they're looking deep into each other's eyes and yelling it's it's Don't weird you understand i need you yeah but the thing is this is supposed to be their first time re-meeting but then there's a bunch Wait, of time where they yeah. were thruples so that doesn't make sense that those two things happen at the same time because i don't think they did no because otherwise he would have like been the did the whole rdg thing and then they had a thruple for like yeah. a few years while this whole job yeah, couldn't is be on the table not being done yeah no chance because this <laughs> when that happened is clearly like a, a time constraint there so yeah. <laughs> again time and space are being constricted and we're folding things together in a dreamlike state you know, events didn't happen this way. We're just seeing sort of the dream reinterpretation of them. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the whole, did it happen? Yeah, and it's a dream. So there's, Walker goes to sleep and he dreams again of not shooting her earlier. The He dreams again of shooting the bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he falls off the couch and he wakes up and he finds that she's committed suicide. For a second, I thought that they had got to her, but mm. the 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 capital T they aren't really interested in these people at all. No, they're they're a business. Yeah. <laughs> they're completely just a corporation doing corporation stuff. If certain members of their group uh, happen to kill someone in the course of business, they're not really concerned about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> we're, we'll find out the. The way that it works is if you owe the corporation money, you owe the corporation money. But if the corporation owes you money, it's really just that guy in the corporation that owes you money. Yeah. Well, That's how they see it. Because they 
it's not them. It's not official corporation business if it's criminal. Right, <laughs> so right. it, it's not in the books and they don't have cash. They have books. They have theoretical <laughs> cash. I mean, this is also a movie about the capitalist system. Yeah. So he he puts he takes his ring off and puts it on her finger, which is kind of an interesting thing. And he opens yeah. up the blinds and he very, very slowly adjusts to the light, much like um, uh, A outside of Mary and Bad when she rushes out into the light and is and just overwhelmed by the brightness. Yeah, it reminded me of that exact scene too. Mm-hmm. I, and Yost I do. Is... Yes, Yost is is outside looking at him, uh, waiting for him. He's like, "All right, you know, you you've gotten to vengeance point one." <laughs> uh, and he didn't kill her, but his arrival caused her to die. You know, it, it made her conclude the loop. Mm-hmm. But it's it's weird. He starts walking around the apartment, and it's clearly been cleaned up. He goes back into the room where the wife was, and there's a cat there. Yeah, the mattress is still there, but all the sheets are gone. Uh, she's gone, and I don't think he took her out or did all this but i mean i have no idea it's weird that he would still be there if you know police or whatever have been through here but maybe he was just haunting the place uh i just like the cat it's great the cat (laughs) clawing on the mattress yep (laughs) it's cool the the cat will just go outside and that'll be that'll be the last we see of the cat well uh some dude shows up to uh deliver uh her pay because she she's on an allowance from Reese, but mm-hmm. first he goes back into the uh, the bathroom, and one of the perfumes has become unbroken, which he promptly accidentally breaks immediately. Right. It's just interesting that it has become unbroken. That yeah. Re reconstituted since he broke it because he just like sh- he he swept them all off the shelf into the <laughs> bathtub. Yep, yep. And there's just this big one sitting there right up in the middle, uh, totally uh, complete. And he picks it up and it just slips through his fingers and he just kind of looks into the psychedelic color swirl, which it sort of represents the wife's final essence going down the drain. It's also interesting that this color swirl has not been cleaned up or dried up, even though they've moved all the furniture and everything else and the bodies out. Yeah, pretty much everything else has been cleaned. Again, yeah, the the compression of time and space is very odd. It's like... Uh, uh, Impressionistic. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of like a psychedelic illusion, maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. So he he leaves the bathroom and the bed is now gone. Did you notice that? (laughs) No, I didn't (laughs) notice that. Yeah. And he sits down in the very corner where the blinds are, like it's the prison cell, because he's in the same place as where he's dying in the prison cell. Uh, It's also very similar to the corner office of... uh, Uh, Carter. Carter, yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar. Yeah, I was taken aback at... uh, Getting ahead of myself here, but taken aback at how sparsely decorated Carter's office is. (laughs) He's just a cog in a wheel, like all of them. <laughs> yeah, his his office is pretty pitiful. Like, I it it really literalizes the idea of the corner office. Of the, like, he just has a desk 
with a tiny space with him in the very corner of the office. <laughs> and he's like supposed to be kind of a big deal. Maybe. Yeah, sort of. I mean, a bigger deal than Big John. Well, everyone's <laughs> bigger than Big John. Because uh, so this dude comes by to deliver Lynn's allowance and Walker pulls him in the door. The cat runs out the door as uh, it's slammed behind him and he does his penance stare thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where I started to think that maybe it is a real supernatural ability because the guy <laughs> genuinely seemed shocked that he freely gave all this information. Yeah, he's like, I can't tell you anything. They'll kill me. Uh, Big John will kill me. Big, Big John, John Stegman. John Stegman. He's a used car salesman downtown. You've seen the ads. I'm like, <laughs> okay, you can go. <laughs> yeah, the guy, like, after he says all that, he kind of blinks. He's like, did I really just say all that? He's <laughs> like, oh, I guess I, I, I gave him the next you know, link in the chain. Because this is sort of how he operates. He just gets one piece of information then he goes to the next guy and he destroys them and then he goes yep. to the next guy and he destroys them but he never <laughs> actually kills anyone he just scares the shit out of them until they die he's like that's a ghost so, that's so cool <laughs> i never noticed that he doesn't kill anyone until you pointed it out yeah he fucking scares them all to death <laughs> So he goes to the dealership, Big John's, uh, Big John Stegman's dealership. Great location. I love oh, the locations yeah. in this movie, by the way. A tremendous use of L.A. locations. I know Los Angeles plays itself really hates her. I don't know if it hates it. It, it considers a, it to be a movie that hates Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I believe is how it's uh, uh, framed. <laughs> But uh, Stegman, he's very distracted because there's a pretty lady who is being sold a car by one of his underlings. So he's not paying attention as uh, uh, Walker gets in the car and like, you take me on a test drive here. <laughs> I love when Walker puts on the seatbelt and Stegman's like, you don't need that. It's like, eh. <laughs> what is the line? The it's it's you know the basic uh, safety uh, line. Most acts, yeah. Most accidents occur within three miles of the home. Yeah, it's like okay, and they go to <laughs> the freeway as soon as interchange. He put on this, yeah. As oh soon yeah. As he puts on the seatbelt. I'm like, oh, I know what's happening. <laughs> He's gonna mess him up. So he trashes the car. He keeps crashing into uh, the big concrete pillars under. I think it's the main four-way interchange. The really famous one. Uh, I, I uh, probably. Um, it's gigantic and it's a multi-level freeway interchange. But I think there are a few of those in LA. Oh, I yeah. sure. <laughs> you you can find them. Uh, yeah, but yeah. He's he's looking for the next link in the chain. I need information. Uh, it's like, I got to find Reese because he wasn't at the address I was given. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, uh, John lets slip that uh, Reese has been has been sleeping with uh, Lynn's sister, Chris. Right. Which is not true. He wishes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it sounds like it has happened one time. And I think it was maybe a threesome with the sisters. There's definitely a suggestion that there was something that happened that she's really uncomfortable about and that, you know, both of them are really uncomfortable about. Comes up later. Okay. <laughs> 
So Stegman reports to Mal. Mal comes to the the car lot and he's like, <laughs> all right, well, you lost him. Find him again. It's like, I, what am I supposed to do with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you, you sure you didn't tell him anything? I mean, you, he didn't kill you. He's like, yeah, well, you see, he killed the car. And look, he beat the <laughs> shit out of me. I, I got really badly hurt in, in all of this. I mean, he again at no point did uh marvin actually hurt him or walker never hit him he just was hurt by being knocked around in the car mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah he he says like no i i turn i told him to go to see chris and then that will like deflect him he's like all right okay fine fine uh but you have to deal with him now uh it's like i'm your boss go <laughs> go deal with this ghost and stegman's like i don't want to <laughs> so we get this crazy psychedelic rock show where this soul singer is doing a screaming act mm-hmm. <laughs> this was a real act that this guy did they saw him doing like this is kind of perfect Oh, because we can just get this guy to have screaming. So it makes sense that there's a bunch of screaming going on and people could miss a fight going on backstage. (laughs) And this is at Chris's club, which is called the movie house, I think. Yeah, I think the movie house, the movie house. Uh, She has inherited the club, I think. Or something like that. She seems to run the place uh, because her x was murdered and he previously ran the place right right that's what it was and he asks a waitress for her address and he gets her address uh from this waitress sandy and she's like there's this guy looking for you by the way i'm like oh is there a backstage exit (laughs) like yeah you can go uh through the backstage and get out there but he's tailed and we get this fucking crazy brawl with just imagery projected and colors and screaming and funk music it's incredible <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, this was a great fight just a very chaotic brawl it's hard to see what's going on he knocks everybody out uh and this lady comes in and finds all these knocked out dudes and starts screaming and we just get th- this incredible final image of the scene where it's walker's face and just volcanic eruptions or fireworks uh <laughs> shooting all over and it looks awesome mm, i love it so he goes to chris's place angie dickinson uh <laughs> also a legend uh apparently she really did not get along with lee marvin they had worked on some movie together previously and not getting along uh i think it was the killers Great oh movie. dear <laughs> uh so she just did not care for him. <laughs> <laughs> she gets to she gets to express that. Oh yeah. So he tells her about Lynn's suicide, and she confirms that Mal does want her, but she's like, he makes my skin crawl. I hate that guy. Yeah. And she gives her a backstory that Mal and the organization killed her boyfriend the guy that she was running the movie house with. So she wants revenge against Mal as well. And it seems like Mal maybe killed the guy because he wants her. I wouldn't put it past him. It seems to be his thing. He's, he seems to be deteriorating mentally, Mm -hmm. which again is maybe leading to his death. Also haunting. Ah. So she agrees to work with him 
Like, all right, we'll work together and take out Reese and do whatever it takes. Yeah. So her place, by the way, all yellow and gold, uh, complete uh, yellow yeah. and gold color scheme there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll get all green uh, with the boss's office. Carter's place is all green mm-hmm. and all of his guys wear green suits. Oh, I never noticed the green suits. <laughs> yeah, all of his underlings, and he's got green couches and so forth. <laughs> so yeah, his corner office. I, I the corner of the corner <laughs> office that that absolutely cracks me up. But we see it's all the like very... an office from from Brazil. Oh, totally. It's very Brazil. Uh, the we also see the complex security that you know you, you have to be buzzed in. That there's this series of phone tubes and stuff, which also yeah. is very Brazil. so carter he's not pleased he was against letting reese into this business to begin with he's like (laughs) trouble follows you by the way uh lee marvin is kind of it follows in this oh (laughs) that's you know what that's implacably walking walking after them yeah top 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 Lee Marvin in it follows. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I, I like this exchange. Like, so what's his name? Walker. What's his first name? I never heard any other, not even from his wife. <laughs> his wife doesn't know his other name. He's just Walker. <laughs> I just I it's love crazy. Like, yeah. I love this whole exchange as Mal is like uh, you gotta help me with this problem. I screwed this guy, I killed him, I took his wife, and Carter's just like, This is not my problem. <laughs> yeah. And wait, is this that mess last year that cost us a hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Is that what this is about? And he's like <laughs> yeah (laughs) you took his share and it's like i needed it to pay you back (laughs) which it's you know you uh rob peter to pay back paul it it is this it is a thing about the capitalist system it's like well i had to get the money so i had to rip off this guy yeah i had to i had to pay off my mastercard with my visa and notably he says that walker killed lynn he blames, like, he thinks that he killed her, even mm-hmm. though we know it is suicide. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if that's, like, I, I don't know how, I don't know where he's getting his information from. Or maybe he's just saying it to try to win Carter over. I don't think Carter would give that, a shit. I don't think he would. Of course he doesn't. Suicide isn't money. Right. So Chris and Walker, they case the Huntley house. And she's like, you'll have a lot of trouble getting in, and you'll never get out. (laughs) Uh, I just think about how much of an easy time he gets in. Yeah, I mean, he just brute forces it the way he does everything. But (laughs) he does have to use her as basically a Trojan horse. She gets in, and it sort of uh, makes makes for a way to shut down a lot of the security measures. Mm-hmm. So her going up the glass exterior elevator. I love the Huntley house. Great location. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. And Walker uh, in one of the apartments across the streets, the residents very obligingly tie themselves up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys tie yourselves up. I might not be corporeal, so I can't do it. 
Yeah, and it, call in a home invasion for me, and they they call it in. It's like, hurry! It's it's very urgent. It's like, was that good? It's like that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what seemed to be a gay couple across the street? Just that's kidding. oh yeah that's definitely And the impression I, I, I do like that there is no he, he's not. He doesn't need to threaten them to like, all right, work with me here. We don't need to make any kind of uh, big deal about this. <laughs> You guys are not needing in need of any haunting right now. yeah you just tie yourselves up and call the cops and it'll be fine He's like, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, do not mess with the crime skeleton. So uh, Mal asks Lynn while or asks Chris about Lynn while he's unbuttoning her blouse which is kind of weird uh, and he says you girls ought to kiss and make up and But he he says just said that Lynn is dead to Carter. he's pretending that she's not Ah, because uh, okay, okay. he doesn't think that Chris knows about it Right. but like he's like you haven't seen her since the two of you dot 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 Hmm. It, it kind of suggests that there, because she mentions when talking to Walker about it that, yeah, I was up there one time to see Lynn, and she's evasive about it. It seems like there was something that happened there that, that time that was uh, Yeah. not great. And <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Mel does seem like a weird sleazy dude. Yeah. Yeah, he would he would set something like that up. Yeah. So he asks her about Walker, and she's like, <laughs> Didn't he die or something? <laughs> well, like, you know, yeah. maybe he did. Yeah, probably. So the police arrive, uh, which draws the guards' attention. But, like, you know, Mal calls and, like, what's going on down there? And, like, yeah, it's some problem across the way. So they don't need to worry about it, but it does draw their attention. Yeah. So uh so Walker just walks right in behind him. Walker walks. He just sneaks into the parking garage, gets into the elevator. I really like that he gets stopped at the first floor because the two guards are about to get on, but they're distracted. So they walk away and they're looking at the cops and the door just closes and he goes up. Yeah, he's just like behind them standing <laughs> right in the door frame. They don't ever turn around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris has Mel close the curtains because they're getting kind of intimate and, you know, the, this was the plan. So it's like, could you close the curtains? I don't really like being watched by your guards. Uh, and then while they're getting it on, Walter, Walker is just knocking them out and disarming them. He's tying them all up, uh, putting the guns down the ducts. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. so he shows up, he puts a gun to Mal's head. I want my 93 grand. <laughs> I love how long it takes for Mal to stop making out with her to realize that he's got a gun to his head. It It takes it takes a moment, and she has to, like, hit him, like, get off me, get off, get off. <laughs> but I love that he has the gun to his head and Mal just faints. <laughs> he has to wake him up and slap him, where's my money? He faints because this guy has come back from the dead to get him. <laughs> it's a, where's my money? Well, the organization has it. There's no one man. <laughs> Uh, if you go high enough, there's always one man. Yeah, that that's that's fun. I mean that that's sort of like the whole premise of the Gibson version. 
right? They're just like, mm -hmm. I just need to take out enough dudes until there's one guy who will give me my money. Whereas this one obviously is quite a bit more abstract. Yeah. So Mel gives him three names. He, he's uh, just really paying off. It's like, okay, there's <laughs> Fairfax, there's Brewer, and there's Carter. He's like, come on, Walker, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel says, look, I'll get you the money. You just need to trust me. And trust me is like Walker's trigger word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it immediately puts him back to the two of them on the floor with the people. Trust me! Trust me! Uh, trust me, Walker, and and Mal falls off the roof. <laughs> yeah, he falls. Uh, Walker, it does look like he kind of tries to catch him, but also like, oh, whoops. Well, yeah, he's got he he grabs the the towel that he's wrapped in, and mm -hmm. he just falls out of the towel. <laughs> I love that he fought like we see him doing like a naked fall onto the road. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a uh, very much like the saboteur. Uh, <laughs> uh, fall with the green screen and stuff. So it looks a little janky, but yeah, his his naked body spiraling down. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But yeah, it, it feels like it's continuing the movement of them lying on the floor together, uh, rattling and say, trust me, I need you, Walker. But then, you know, he's naked and falls off a roof. I <laughs> thought he, Mal was going to live to the end of the movie. Like, well, so the last... It does seem weird because he seems to be the main villain up to this point. And then Walker's like, well, now it's about the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, 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 uh, his, the revenge wasn't satisfying enough. He needs, he needs more. Right. Well, it's because no revenge is going to be satisfying enough. Uh, right. Nothing will get back what he's lost because he died. So <laughs> mm -hmm. he, he, uh, he, he just, it's never going to be satisfying. There's there's nothing that's going to satisfy him. Even if he gets the money. And he sort of gets the money and then he doesn't. Yeah, it's a little... Well, we'll, we'll yeah. get there. So Walker, he gets down to the parking garage again. There is a guard who notices him on the way out and who shoots at him. But then police arrive and they shoot that guy. He's like, don't shoot! I quit! And I love it. It's... <laughs> It's so funny to have it's it's almost like the Will Ferrell in Austin Powers thing. It's like, oh my leg, my knee, stop, oh my knee, oh stop. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, who were you shooting at? And he just gets like, oh stop, stop, I quit. <laughs> so Walker just escapes. There's a there's a crowd and he dissolves into it. And we see Yost there watching. Like he he looks down at uh, uh, Reese's dead body in the street and watches the coroner's bag the body. I'm like, all right, good, good. Next <laughs> one off the list. Yep. So Walker gives Chris the envelope of money that was being delivered to Lynn earlier. And she's like, you died at Alcatraz, all right. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's weird. And Walker phones up Multiplex Products for information because this is the name of the company that was given for the organization. It's their fake business. Multiplex Products. That's good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Yost just kind of magically appears like he does. You know, he's been called into being. He's needed for more information to take down these guys. These two ghosts <laughs> working together. <laughs> 
and he offers some info on Carter. Carter's obviously the next step in the chain. We've been seeing Carter a fair amount. We don't really know who uh, Brewster or Fairfax are, but we'll get them. Oh, yeah. So Walker goes to a shareholders meeting or something. It's some sort of business party. I thought it might have been like a political thing. Like he might have been a political be. candidate or he's it's it's his party. He's the centerpiece of the thing. Yeah. Whatever it is. It, it feels like some sort of business meeting. And he yeah. just kind of button hooks and he grabs him by the elbow and he's like, I want my ninety three cat thousand dollars. And I love like we hear old ladies like, oh, don't manipulate all of his time. <laughs> and he's we like, need Look. him too. Well, yeah. I, it's like, look, any debt Reese has has to you is his problem. He's like, he's dead. It's your problem now. <laughs> <laughs> he like doesn't work that way. And Walker's yeah. basically like, well, I say it does now. Yeah, he's like they're scraping him off the sidewalk right now. It's like, well, then his debt died with him. I'm afraid. He's like, wrong. <laughs> it passed on to you. <laughs> which again yeah it follows but like for for money <laughs> oh, that like he's for owed. money debt oh my god he's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go all the way up the chain to the last guy yeah and he's like well carter's like well i'm just not gonna pay you then yeah he's like look no business corporation would acknowledge that debt he's like well if you don't i'll kill you I'm like huh well, you've got <laughs> me in a bind here <laughs> it's like okay i can arrange a drop uh, and he says, if you don't, you are dead. <laughs> <laughs> so Carter, uh, is yelling at everyone next morning in his office. He's dressing everyone down. <laughs> Stegman is like, well, you know, he used Chris as a Trojan horse. He's like, hang on, Stegman. You seem to be the only person who seems to have any kind of insight into this. The rest <laughs> of these guys are, uh, NPCs with no lines. I'll send them out. <laughs> since you're so smart steg but you could deal with him again and give him the money yeah uh there's a predetermined location in the la river it's in the in one of the in a certain storm drain you're gonna meet there and uh you will give walker his money won't you you won't <laughs> try what reese did <laughs> which <laughs> Cause does it just feel so much like the have a blast sequence in Savage Beach? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where Rodrigo Obregon is given the British guy the thing and is like, you don't need to count it, do you? That would be silly that you don't need to look <laughs> in the box. Have a blast. Bye. <laughs> it does kind of feel like that. <laughs> it definitely feels like. You're not gonna try and steal this money. That that's you're not gonna try and get away with some money or anything, right? That that would be a silly thing to do. You're definitely going to go to this location and be there with the money. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So we see Walker watching Stegman leave, and he <laughs> heads into the <laughs> office. Uh, I I love this scene with him. He just like leans down to whisper in the secretary's ear and pulls out the phone cord and just stomps on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't really see what he's saying to her until the end of the scene. Yeah, he he's just whispering and just like, huh? and he just grabs the stuff and breaks the thing and he has her buzz him in with the with a gun, <laughs> knocks out the first guard. 
again, it's it's kind of like uh, Marion Bed, where he describes pushing through all of these doors and closing them behind him. Oh, yeah. So he gets to Carter's office. It's like, you're crazy, Walker. How can this help you? He's like, <laughs> I want you to pay me personally. <laughs> you don't understand. I literally cannot get the physical dollars here in time. Yeah, they, they don't quite understand. Like, nobody's explained to him the cash problem yet, that they don't have cash. Everyone uses debit or credit now. Yeah. So he takes Carter there. Uh, he parks right behind uh, Stegman, and Stegman's already down there. And he gets a little bit more information from Card. He's like, look, the money guy is Fairfax. That's the guy who signs the checks. He's the guy you got to talk to if you want money. And he pushes Carter out. He's like, go get it. And it's like, it's all right. It's Carter. And he's shot by a sniper, of course. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love it because we find out that the sniper knew it was Carter. The sniper can, well, you, we get snipers, the sniper's POV when he's yelling, it's all right. It's Carter. You can clearly hear him from there. And yep. then he shoots him anyways, because... He works for Fairfax. We don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, we still think he works for Brewster. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, so Stegman runs and he shoots him too. And the sniper leaves. So Walker comes and checks out the fake payoff and is like, okay, it's just blank sheets of paper. Of he dumps it in the river. Real money. Yeah, of course so, not. They wouldn't have this... left it there if it were <laughs> real. See, at this point, like when when Carter said he was going to and he sent Stegman with the money. I thought for a second that maybe he was just really going to pay him that like that it's more financially sound to pay this guy than to let him I mean, run around is. and do all that. It, it is. <laughs> it kind of seems like it. Especially point, because I didn't understand the cash issue yet. Right. And and neither does Walker. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it really because he says, like, look, we did a cost benefit analysis and it's like it is not worth dealing with this guy anymore. It is not that much money. Just give it to him so we can move on from it. Yeah. And that makes sense. It's just it's not true because they can't. They don't bother. Yeah, they could Although, get the money, but they couldn't get it very quickly. I don't know. It's a it's check would be so decision. much easier. Yeah, it's arguably the decision that Fairfax makes at the very end of the movie, though. Yeah. So Walker meets with Yost slash Fairfax and he fills him in on what happened. And he's like, all right, Brewster's next. <laughs> it's like, okay, where do I find him? He's this like, is his house. <laughs> this is his house. We're there right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it does kind of feel like Yost teleported them there. Yeah, because how really would does. either of them have gotten to this place undetected? It's it's so crazy. They're it's both impossible. just hanging out there. <laughs> it feels like like a resort that they are meeting up at, like a neutral location. It feels like they're all haunting the place for a while. Yes, especially with uh, when Chris oh, shows up and is turning on everything. That part, I was seriously thinking about like a poltergeist there. Yeah, completely. Uh, which so also Brewster's place, his is all orange and brown, like a desert. Hmm. Uh, so Walker drives around in the neon at night. He's very much like the Terminator. I feel like there is a shot in the Terminator that is directly referencing this scene. I watched the Terminator this weekend. It was like, that is that <laughs> scene. Oh my God. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so Walker goes to Chris's again 
and it's been trashed. She's like, well, it doesn't matter. I was wanting to move out of this place anyway. There's a lot of bad memories. Mm. And there's that kind of eerie scene where they're out at a diner and there's just the people around them seem frozen. You know, there's that there's uh, these teens that is at the next table and the lady is just staring into space. Oh, yeah. It's just a, a vibe to the scene. It's another one that I've seen a lot because it's in Los Angeles plays itself. Because mm -hmm. it's just, you know, a cool location. Again, so many cool locations. Yeah, I've definitely seen that canal location uh, hundreds oh, of times in movies. Yeah. Have you seen them, the Killer Ant movie, the Giant Ant movie? I might have. Because they're like the climax of the movie is them fighting the ants there. And it's rad. <laughs> uh, I think like the, the last race in Greece takes place there. And that would make sense. I've never seen Greece. Oh, I <laughs> in was its in entirety. the play. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our high school did a play. I played the nerdy kid. Okay. So they go to Brewster's place. They're haunting it or, for a while. They're in Bruce. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they're they're from they, they're from the diner, and then they go to Brewster's, yeah. and she's like, "You're safer with me until this is finished," and he suggests that she can ask for the money. Uh, mm. and he'll say no, and you'll kill him. Is is what she says. He's like, "Yeah, something <laughs> like that." Yeah. <laughs> He's like, "Something like that." This isn't a pitch, and this is when she just hits him so much. <laughs> oh yeah, she just. She just gets so mad, and uh, I actually timed it. It's like a full minute of him so just – or her just beating on him. At first, he has his arms up and is deflecting, and then she just keeps hitting him. It's like a cat hitting a very large dog. Just <laughs> whap, 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 over and over and over. And it's real. Like, she was hitting him for real. This was all personal. Uh, they had, like, planned ahead. It was like, okay, you just hit me for real and just did – Get it all out, and I don't care. And she bruised the shit out of him. <laughs> I bet. Because, <laughs> like, she hits him so much, she gets tired and has to sit down. <laughs> she, like, fall. she collapses to her knees. Yeah, from... <laughs> like, my favorite part is that there's a couple points where she hits him a bunch, and she has run out of energy, and she has to pause for a second, and then it is very much like a cat just starting up again, like wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and then meanwhile, it's like the video where the, the giant dog has just got the question marks popping up over his head. Yeah, he's just standing standing there looking tired and like, all right, are we still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a zombie. You can't defeat me. <laughs> he just stops reacting to it after a while. Yeah, he, he goes after she finally sits down, he just goes to the other room and watches TV. <laughs> and that's when she starts simultaneously turning on all the electronic devices at once yeah just suddenly there is just this wall of noise and he goes and she has started up every single thing in the kitchen <laughs> it turns but, on but every no light in the house no there's no it's trace so... it's just everything has been turned on and she has disappeared again yeah like they're haunting the place yeah like <laughs> Like, He's I, like, hey, had... stop it. Don't haunt the place like this. I have plans. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just recently died. And the whole being a poltergeist thing is new to me. And I just want to see what I can do, you know? I mean, I, I obviously can't beat you up. Well, it's especially strange because she is one character who does not die. She is one of That's the only right. characters who doesn't die in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
but she starts taunting him over the PA systems, like, hey, the money wasn't yours in the first place. I mean, you stole it, too. Why don't you lay down and die? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and then she hits him in the head with a pool cue, and then they fall on each other, and it is exactly like the Mal scene with him on top or her on top and they start rolling and it turns into a sex scene, but sometimes he's Mal and sometimes she's Lynn. <laughs> and yeah. And, and every time they roll around as two different people it's or, so or cool. different combinations of the same people, it's, it's really neat. I really like this, uh, this scene. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy. Uh, the time just sort of uh, un unmoors. Mm-hmm. So it cuts to them in bed, uh, and the, the rolling, and then the morning after is also kind of weirdly shuffled and cross-cut with the morning after Lynn's suicide. Oh, yes. So, I don't know, maybe it is a situation where she commits suicide, but we don't know about it. Like, it just doesn't happen in the film. Right, because maybe Walker never stumbles onto the body. Like, who knows? Because it, it, it does feel like both of them are ghosts at this point. She, I definitely got the ghost vibe from her. I didn't, I didn't get the ghost vibe from Walker until you mentioned it, and then I was like, oh, fuck, of course. <laughs> Although he's maybe more of a zombie. <laughs> Avenging zombie. So Brewster... I, I like the It Follows. Oh, yeah, totally. It, it has a very It Follows vibe to it. So Brewster arrives. Carol O'Connor, uh, who probably best known as Archie Bunker. Oh, okay. I knew that I've seen this guy before, but could yeah. not place him. I'm like, this guy's famous. I will know who he is if somebody mentions a thing he's in. Yeah, he, he's Archie Bunker. He's also very famously <laughs> on In the Heat of the Night, where he's great. Uh, so he he's a guy who was sort of like the working class right wing guy character actor. Like he was that guy sort of iconically from all in the family, but he sort of right. did that like in, in the heat of the night, he's the semi racist, but not, not like virulently racist, but he is like a Southern cop who has to learn to work with a uh, black cop from the North. Okay. Very interesting movie. Hmm. And he does learn, and he grows, and that was sort of his thing on All in the Family, too. He was this guy who was sort of knee-jerk, far-right, but as he had to experience the changing face of America, he kind of just had to grow and deal with it, and that was sort of what that show was about. Okay, I never actually saw the show. I just, oh, I knew the character so as, the like, racist dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, famously I, racist yeah. dad. Completely. Uh, I mean, it, th that's sort of reductive in that he was always learning lessons about it, and it was oh, okay. him growing uh, throughout the course of the show. But uh, interesting show. I, I saw so much of it as a kid. It's one that mm -hmm. I saw in reruns constantly. So anyway, he is a, he arrives at the airport, and the sniper shows up to meet him and fill him in on all the details. And he's like, also, I would like to be paid for the work I've been doing. <laughs> Well, you can't because you killed the guy who was supposed to pay you. Yeah, tough luck. You killed Carter. Carter was the guy who was going to pay you. So, you know, uh, the, that's <laughs> how this business works. He's like, well, I should warn you that there's this guy, Walker. <laughs> and he's he's coming for you. And I, I like this. Uh, Brewster's like, you coming with me? 
Pass. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to wait for Fairfax. He'll pay me. (laughs) So then, yeah, it's that part that we mentioned at the very beginning. Chris is getting ready. She's like, hey, what's my last name? Walker's like, what's my first name? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody answers the questions. Nobody knows. Nobody, yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> they don't exist. They they haven't been written into the story. <laughs> You're they're W. Pro- <laughs> this is C. Yeah, they're probably not in the original book either. <laughs> it probably, probably just not. doesn't exist. Because, uh, yeah. you know, very stripped down crime novels, these uh, Stark Walker movies. So Brewster is obviously really pissed off when he shows up. Nobody's been doing upkeep. Look at that. Like they haven't been watering the hillside. Everything's all <laughs> dead. The fucking pool's cold. What the hell? Yeah, what do you pay these people for? <laughs> so Walker ambushes the guard, pistol whips him, and it's intercut with the previous brawl in the uh, backstage. So, like, the yeah. violence is compressing into one piece. Yeah, I like that it's intercutting with stuff that we've seen and not just stuff that's in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, so just things kind of compressing together, like all of these moments echoing through the movie. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of neat because usually the only flashback to a flashback. Yeah. So I love Brewster's reaction to Walker. He's the funniest in reacting to Walker. He's the <laughs> one who's the most no nonsense about it. He's the guy who. He clearly is the dude who actually gets things done in the organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Walker ambushes the guy. He knocks out the, the guard. And Brewster, he takes a moment to compose himself. Like, Walker, you're a very bad man. Very destructive. <laughs> <laughs> you're a very bad man. <laughs> yeah. And Walker's like, I want my 93 grand. Just like he said to each of these guys. <laughs> is it brewster who asked was like it can't just be that it's got to be more what do you really want yeah that... he's like you can't you threaten a financial structure like this for 93 grand no one's <laughs> gonna give it to you we don't have cash that's too much cash but it's also not enough money to bother with what, what are you wasting my time for 93 grand it it sort of takes the wind out of his sails for the first time. He's like, huh, well, I don't really know how to deal with this. How how does a ghost come up against the capitalist system? <laughs> he, he basically is just like, well, yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. And he's like, who runs things? He's like, well, Carter and I run things. I'm like, well, what about Fairfax? Will he pay me? He's like, well, Fairfax is a guy who signs checks. And like, well, I want cash. <laughs> well, Fairfax isn't going to give you anything. He's finished. He's dead. He just he doesn't, just know, doesn't it yet. know it yet. <laughs> yeah. And that, like, that comes up a few times. It's like, yeah, yeah. that guy's already dead. Mm-hmm. So Walker tells Brewster to call somebody, and he calls Fairfax, of course. <laughs> and he's explaining their high finance all the t- all, while he's ringing him. It's like, we deal in millions. We never see cash. <laughs> I've got $11 in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) So he calls him up and Fairfax is very unimpressed. Obviously, Fairfax wants this guy to die. This is the same thing as what happened with Carter earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here, I never clued in that Fairfax was Yost. Oh, okay. 
I had like I have seen this a few times before. I don't know if I remember it, caught it on the first time, but definitely like it had been a while since I last watched it. And uh, it was the part where it's like, well, we're at the we're at his house right now. And it's like, oh, I mean, you're part of the organization, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, I should have picked it up, but hey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so he's like, "There's this man with a gun who wants ninety three thousand dollars, and he says he's going to shoot me." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not not impressed by that. I mean, anybody could say that. So uh, he shoots the phone in a rage, <laughs> and Chris runs to see what's up because, like, gunfire. Yeah, <laughs> and Bruce is like. Think it's please i just think it's hilarious that chris has just been living in the house with him this whole time waiting waiting I for mean, brewster it might have just been overnight i don't even know who knows how long it's been yeah exactly who knows but brewster's like okay okay there's this place in san francisco where cash still changes hands you know about it it's the same one you robbed that started this whole thing it's the alcatraz run <laughs> and it's weird it's like you know why don't you and me go there and Lynn or the or rather Chris, she's like a Lynn copy. It'll be you, the a person from this organization and the copy of your wife. We'll just run the same uh, simulation again. It'll probably work out great for you this time. Right. Yeah. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> you can trust me, Walker. It's like his PTSD is triggered. Yeah. <laughs> So we cut to Alcatraz, and Brewster is in a spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He just is like, nope, stand in the spotlight. Stay right there. Walker just lurking in the shadows, kind of illusory <laughs> like a ghost, sort of just appearing in different windows. And a helicopter arrives. And Walker is still getting more information. He's like, all right, I better get some information on the next guy in the chain, because this guy's uh, at, at the end of his. <laughs> like tell me about fairfax he's dead or he will be tomorrow <laughs> it is tomorrow <laughs> so yeah they're all already dead it, it feels like this is just them kind of all coming to the conclusion of their death Ooh. so walker watching from the shadows and brewster exchanges boxes with the helicopter and then immediately he's shot. <laughs> <laughs> the helicopter takes off. The sniper kills Brewster. And Yost slash Fairfax emerges. And he reveals that he's Fairfax, basically. And he's there yeah. with his sniper. Yeah, he's like, yeah, Walker didn't shoot you. I did. Because Brewster's like, why did he shoot me, Walker? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, nah, it was me. And he, he yells out, our deal's done, Walker. Brewster was the last one. He's like, I, I, you can have, here's your money. It's right here for you. Come out and get it. I'm like, huh, this feels like an echo of that earlier scene. That's not yeah. good. He's like, I'll give you a job, Walker. I've been looking for a guy like you in the organization. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get Walker to take the money for quite a while, actually. It almost seems like it's a point of pride for him. He's like, I pay my debts, unlike mm. all these other guys. But Walker just sort of descends backwards into the shadows. Yep. <laughs> and Fairfax is like, how do you like that? Sniper's like, 
I like it. And he, he goes to take the money. He's like, hey, leave it. It's not for you. And they leave with the money still there. You think it's real money? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, we don't find out, do we? I mean, it looks exactly like the package that we saw earlier that was just a It bunch does. of blank paper. So it could It, just be a fake again. I don't know. it could be. But it, it is intentionally am ambiguous, just like the beginning is ambiguous. I dig Mm. that. I fucking love it. Yeah, I, I really liked, I, I love this movie. It's so fucking good. Uh, Masterpiece, uh, just one of the great crime films of the 60s. I love how psychedelic it is. I love how experimental it is, how much it really actively plays with the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a time that movies like this could get made. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. it made money even <laughs> it it got oh. back its budget like tripled its budget i mean it was not an expensive movie to make <laughs> No, but uh budget 2.5 million box office 9 million uh domestic that's not bad that's pretty good. Yeah. it's especially just because of how fucking weird it is Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw the trailer and like, well, the trailer is just the footsteps of Lee Marvin over everything else that's happening. All the violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it made it feel like he's going to be an unstoppable killing machine, but he's just an unstoppable <laughs> seeing killing machine. yeah, he he causes death by his appearance. He's like a harbinger of doom. Yeah, it's 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 great. yeah, this was really <laughs> cool. it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I I <laughs> side note, I kept getting this mixed up with point break to the point where Oh. if you look at all of my books and like calendars and stuff, every time you will see the movie reference is point break with a cross out in red and blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Point Blank is fun or Point Break kind of a fun movie decent Yeah, I I haven't watched thought it in years that <laughs> it was when I went to update my letterbox and I was like, <laughs> this isn't the movie I watched. that's fair so we're also doing <laughs> an episode of Ultra Q the fourth episode Mammoth Hooray. Flower uh, directed by Koji Kajita Uh, aired January 23rd, 1966. Again, we're exactly one day off uh, the original air date, but also like 40-some years. But, you know, that's cool. Yeah. We're we're doing them kind of in in sequence or in, in, uh, in I I parallel to their air dates. shit, that's interesting. Wonder if I wonder how long we can keep that up. Probably not super <laughs> long, but it's yeah. it's funny that it's kind of matching up. Uh, but yeah, Yeah. director Koji Kajita. So this is the first one that's not directed by Tsuburaya, which is interesting. Tsuburaya directed the first three. Tsuburaya is, I, I think, one of the main producers of the series, one of the creators. So this is when they're finally starting to have other people come in and uh, work on it, too. This episode has a different feel from the other ones. Totally does. It's, Much more action. yeah, but also I love this like, one. <laughs> oh yeah, no, me too. But also like, it, it's like quieter because the monster doesn't make noise. Right, it is a flower. It is a flower. It, you could argue the monster doesn't <laughs> do a whole lot of anything besides grow. yeah, I mean, it's got tentacles, it sucks some blood, and it does kill Yeah. a cop at the beginning. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So we open up in the city, and there's a rumble. There's this officer making his rounds in the early morning, and there's just a big heave in the sidewalk, in the pavement, and there's damage to the building, And 
falling debris land on the officer and kill him. It's a very quick cold open, the quickest one we've had. Yeah, yeah, and and we don't even see the monster for the theme song. We just see like the concrete heaving up and down like it's breathing, and I keep thinking like a monster is going to come up, but it never does. Right. Well, because it's it's just the roots. I mean, there's mm-hmm. it is sort of a monster. It does actually even have a name. It's called Juran. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all of these are monsters with names. Uh, I mean, cool. it, you know, it's a carnivorous plant, so it kind of it it has a personality of a sense. But again, <laughs> we have this uh, recurring opening. It's really becoming very Twilight Zoney. It's like a part of Mother Nature which surrounds us is starting to make a strange move, and then. <laughs> You know, they're they're same thing that they do every time. Like, we'll become For swallowed the next into this. Minutes. Yeah, exactly. You'll become swallowed that. into this mysterious time. It's great. Things are unbalanced, and anything can happen. Yeah, uh, I I love the pulsing pavement cracks over the cracks. Yes, it's super cool. Yeah, I, I love that, and how they they didn't show even part of the monster here, but it they just kept teasing it, like maybe it was going to rise up. Yeah, because the other ones have shown the monster fully in the opening sequence each time. So this is the first one that mm. kind of holds it back. Yeah, I like that. Mm. So Jun and Ipe show up to this same building. It's not, I think it's maybe the same as the news building. Maybe it's a different one. I guess it has to be a different one because it's I not the news office they go to. It's the, it's the news office that ends up getting destroyed at the end. It is the but news office because if... it's weird because the place that they're in, they're there to pick up some flyers to airdrop. Oh, and I think it's just an advertising company that they work with because it's not the place that uh, Yuri works because oh, it's this I other it girl that Ipe has a crush on. Oh, no. I OK. I thought this was Yuri's office. No, no. This is this different girl, Michiko, who oh, okay. or Michiko, who uh, Ipe has a crush on now. We're right, like okay. expanding this world very quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so they show up and there's just general disarray. Uh, they think that there was an earthquake and they're like, there hasn't been any earthquake, guys. I was like, well, I don't know. Something happened here. <laughs> yep. And Michiko shows up and, you know, Ipe very clearly has a crush on her right away. And she's like, well, there's something floating in the moat. Like, hmm. Maybe we'll go check that out. And outside, Yuri runs into them because she's following the story. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, hey, I heard about oh. this weird localized earthquake, uh, so I'm here to take some pictures of the building." And she's like, "Oh, well, we heard there. There's this thing floating in the moat over across the way. You want to go check that out?" I'm like, yeah, I love checking <laughs> out weird things floating in the moat. That's my thing. <laughs> and Jun, like, it's like. You should be chasing boys instead of earthquakes. I'm like, shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and Yuri's chasing a scoop, man. She ain't got no time for boys. Right. I, I don't think she cares. I think the the show is on her side. She's like, yo, a man died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah. Excuse me, a man died. <laughs> Fine. And maybe I, I don't need to quip about you not dating. But we get I, Something that I haven't really picked up before because I thought he ran just a pilot business, but I think it was mentioned in the first episode. He's a sci-fi writer. Oh, yeah. Because she says, why don't you try reality for once? Zing. (laughs) Well, 
their reality is science fiction. So. Yeah, they're in a sci-fi <laughs> reality. So in the moat, there's this big tentacle-like root. And this large crowd has gathered to look at it. But they scatter when it starts splashing them. Oh no, the front row will get wet. <laughs> <laughs> I love these tentacles. They're super they're so, great. They're so Very tactile. Pokey. Yeah, they've got lots of thorns on them. They're kind of like a rose. Mm-hmm. So we cut back to our mad scientist who we were introduced to last episode, Ichinatani, his laboratory. <laughs> I like that he is... He he looks like Professor Professor Colonel Sanders, and he just <laughs> he's afraid of the future. He's really concerned about everything that's coming down the pipe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first first probably aliens, and now dinosaur flowers. This this doesn't bode well. I think we're in a kaiju f- series. Yeah, and we cut to elsewhere in the building, and roots have broken through the basement office, and one dude has just been grabbed and it's sucking his blood <laughs> oh yeah he's got like thorns poking in his neck and it's like wrapped around him and there's people battling the roots they're like <laughs> they seem to have an intelligence and are attacking yeah so jun ipe and yuri obviously they show up at that time and they attack it uh jun like breaks a bottle to fight it with like he's in a bar <laughs> fight it's great I, I saw that i'm like dude what are you gonna do with that <laughs> <laughs> he he cuts it. It works. Yeah. Sort of works. They free the guy. Uh, Ipe yeah. also is like spraying it with a fire extinguisher. I think maybe Ipe is doing more. <laughs> I, I think he might be. Yeah, I don't think it's going to react to being hurt because it doesn't really. <laughs> no, no. So they free the guy, and it, it is hilarious. Just a bunch of cops running into the room and hilariously shooting at a plant with guns, and it's not <laughs> working because it's a plant. <laughs> But you know what, though? You <laughs> you gotta try the guns, the tanks, and the airplanes every time, because every kaiju has a specific weakness, and one of them is bound to be weak against bullets. I mean, I was even thinking about when I was watching Point Blank, and there was that scene of her hitting him over and over and over again. I was like, fire more rockets! It's like <laughs> like uh, Lee Marvin has become a kaiju. Marvadon. Yeah. So they get they cut off a root and they bring it back to Ichinatani's lab. And they're like, okay, it's this carnivorous thing. It's sucking human blood. So the easy conclusion is like, there has to be this huge bulb or root directly under this building. Cause this is the only building that's been affected. Somehow none of them put that together until Ipe theorizes it. <laughs> well, these guys also don't understand a tunnel connecting to another tunnel so that's true it's just how is ipe the one to put it together i mean ipe is clearly firing on all cylinders this episode but i mean remember the last episode he put like an alien ball on a chain that he just found so this is his charlie work yeah (laughs) so they declare an emergency and jen's like work is canceled it is finally let's go (laughs) They they like run to their convertible like they're Batman and Robin. It's adorable. Na, 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 na. <laughs> and similar music that they have in this show. Kinda, yeah. So Ichinotani gives a press conference. It's like it's this revived prehistoric plant. I don't know how. <laughs> Definitely doesn't have anything to do with the other kaiju we've been dealing with. Right. <laughs> 
somehow they don't think to maybe put it together. You'd think that it could just be another thing from the same issue, because last time they had giant slugs, why not a giant flower? Uh, this Yeah. seems like a really easy next step. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they're still going with the uh, precursor to an alien invasion theory, but they're Who just knows? going with <laughs> I don't know. plants survived dinosaur <laughs> time. yeah. So they go back to the building. Uh, Jun, Ipe, uh, and Yuri all go back to the building. And the office they visited, they're all emergency. They're, they're moving out in an emergency. Like, help us move some of this shit out of here. This whole place is going to come down. Make sure you get the important files. They're all important files if you organize them properly. You would think. Uh, Jun gets out, but there's this rumble... Tentacles burst out of all the walls, and Ipe is trapped inside with uh, his crush, Mia-chan, or uh, Mi-chan, Michiko. I love the miniatures of the building with the tentacles uh, bursting Oh, yeah. out of it. They're super cool. It does look like the building shouldn't be able to hold itself together after the first big break, though. Yeah, I was kind of, I really was hoping the tentacles <laughs> would just demolish the building from the inside out, and then you but. just have this big... giant scary flower that's attacking people in the middle of downtown yeah that would be cool but i guess they couldn't do that Yeah, it, what they did works. it's cool I, I like it. They like split the building in half. Uh, they did have some vines coming from outside or from inside. i i like them sending uh 200 soldiers down into the pit under the sh under the building to cut the root and it's not working and they're like try flamethrowers <laughs> And then we get our other professor, Professor Genda, who is the one who kind of thinks, well, why don't we try to study this thing, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, he's like, like, hey, could you maybe hold off on the flamethrower so I can study this thing? Yeah, he's like, And flamethrower seems a little excessive. It's, you know, Tony, it's a terrifying blood-sucking plant. Optimism is dangerous. people are dying. <laughs> it really seems to be his catchphrase. <laughs> He said that exact phrase. Optimism yes. is dangerous last week, too. Mm hmm. And, and of course, he's right because this plant is Yes. gonna kill people still. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, it does seem like maybe they could study it, too. I mean, it, if they've evacuated the building, it's not really going anywhere. <laughs> it's Ah, a plant. but it's it's got all that <laughs> pollen though. That's true. There is the pollen. Yeah. And the building is pretty much completely falling to bits. So the huge Oh yeah. bulb emerges. There's a great miniature of the bulb emerging from the roof and blooming into a big flower. I love the blooming. It looks like one of those uh, time-lapse footage videos of a real flower. Oh, it's super well done. The So crowd, good. crowd obviously gathers to watch this Yeah. math, the, the mammoth flower bloom. Uh, and Genda is like odd into agreement. It's like, oh, you're right. It's really big. We should kill it. <laughs> <laughs> I have I made a terrible mistake. I don't even understand why. It's like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. It's huge. You should, you should definitely like, you knew it was huge. This, that's how it's getting up through an entire building. Yeah, I don't I know. don't know. I, I would have th thought that Tunnel the pollen inside a tunnel. would have been... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would it have wasn't. thought that the pollen would have been the str straw that breaks the camel's back for him, but no. But that hasn't happened yet. No. No, it hasn't. So they can't flamethrower it right away for whatever <laughs> reason. Uh, oh yeah, because Ipe and Michiko are still yeah. trapped inside. Like, no, no, you gotta hold back. We gotta go get them. Uh, so soldiers go in looking for them. 
and this is when they start it starts shooting this poisonous pollen at them and they get all coated in it and they're like oh it's poisonous pollen but then they just fight through and it's okay so it's not like super poisonous <laughs> no it's just like oh this is gross get this off me <laughs> it smells bad uh, but they find Ipe and Michiko. They shoot a tentacle to death somehow. <laughs> like yeah. Firing automatic <laughs> weapons at it. I guess ultimately it dies. They get out. <laughs> <laughs> they they haul the two of them out. So then, it, it's a very funny line, Genda to Ichinotani. Now is the time to eliminate the enemy of mankind, the giant flower. It's <laughs> a very serious pronouncement. Now is the time to destroy the enemy of mankind, the giant flower. Like, it is the enemy of mankind. But oh, I, I love he has a have, special briefcase. I love they have like special announcements, like do 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 do. This week on, or today on Giant Flower News, the Giant Flower oh, yeah. Emergency Shelter has been erected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jenda has this briefcase, industrial defoliant, that he's developed. And like, okay, if you drop it on it, th this will kill it. You don't need to use flamethrowers. This is just a... It's, it's sort of like the oxygen destroyer from Godzilla, except not dangerous to the rest of the world, I guess. I guess, yeah. Uh, so obviously Jun takes the case because he's a, he's a guy with a plane. So he flies over and they drop it and it kills the plant. Yep, easy peasy. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just disintegrates. Uh, cool disintegration effect, though. I like it. Yeah, it's cool, and we get sort of a closing that really shows that they're riffing on Twilight Zone and like uh, seeing how close they can get to <laughs> being Twilight Zone and like the unbalance zone. <laughs> <laughs> is giving us these warnings. Yes. Hmm, hmm, the unbalanced zone, you say. And that is the end. It's fun. I like I, it. This is my favorite episode so far, quite honestly. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it does feel like we're slowly, really slowly building towards something bigger. Like we're going to find a reason for all these kaiju. Yeah, Maybe. It, it does sort of feel like we're developing a world. There's a lot of world building going on. You're getting more and more side characters who seem to be recurring. It's great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like I like it a lot, and I like where the series going. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, so do you have any last thoughts on either Point Blank or the fourth episode of Ultra Q before we close and uh, move to part two? I need you for part two. You have to trust me. Uh, uh, PTSD noises. <laughs> step, 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 step. Oh, it's so fucking good. Uh, <laughs> all right, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we've got two additional films to talk about, uh, starting with the Bollywood film Band Darwaza, which apparently means closed door. Uh, There's not the most evocative title. Not really. Although I guess the final hiding place is a secret passage behind another secret passage. Of... There's a lot of secret passages. You got a lot of closed doors. It's just, yeah. I don't know it's if it's that significant. The... No, it's really not what the movie's about. I would have called this awesome-ass fucking monster vampire. <laughs> Bollywood Dracula. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That Yeah, right there. <laughs> 
I mean, if you were marketing it in North America, you're releasing Bollywood Dracula and it would fucking kill. Yeah. <laughs> so it's from 1990, directed by Shyam and Tulsi Ramsey. This is the last one in the Mondo Macabro uh, Bollywood horror box, which is tremendous. I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't loved every film in it. Uh, Atma, I was pretty mixed on, but... All of them have been very interesting and all of them are worth watching. Like there's something at least fascinating about each of them. And you, most of the music rips. Yeah. Although the, the score from this movie is, uh, it's not it is a by, of, or it's it, not. <laughs> yeah, it is by Harry Manfredini. They have just borrowed the entirety of the Friday the 13th score. And I, it is the entirety. It is all there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does the Jason sound constantly uh, during any, like any time they're borrowing the score. <laughs> so you really recognize it. I mean, I've heard. I mean, I've watched Friday the Thirteenth a million times. So yeah, I, I'm noticing it every time. And just it's so many of like the Jason closing credits, like the climactic scene, like. <laughs> Oh my God! Why are we doing this? There isn't even anything much happening right now. Yeah, it's it's like at one point is doing a lady in bed. Yeah, when she's like, or she's like looking through the closet for a book, and and then she's reading the spooky book, which has such a funny <laughs> cover. It looks like made by children. <laughs> it, it was. I seriously thought it's like this is some fourteen-year-old girl's like <laughs> edgy girl wannabes dear diary. It's like the Don't Deliver Us From Evil Book of Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be honest. The reason I wanted to do this one first is because I honestly think if I try to talk about Castle and the Carpathians, I will forget about everything that happened in this movie because while I enjoyed the shit of it while watching it, yeah, uh, it's, it's like junk food. Oh, completely. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, there's so much that happens, but most of it doesn't matter in any sort of, uh, plot sense or, uh, structure yeah. sense or <laughs> in terms of like meaning, it's just, there's so much stuff happening and they just have <laughs> things happening over and over and you'll have a lot of the same things happening over and over. And this one to its credit does not have any obnoxious comedic character. There is one comedy character who shows up at the beginning and then the movie just forgets about him. He doesn't even die. He just stops showing up. Yeah, we just kind of leave him behind. And he's just sort of vaguely comical, but he never has a bit. He never does a thing. No, there is no scenes that are like this character for this character. Right. Whereas in every single other one of these, you got a bunch of it. Uh, and in Atma, it's just kind of folded into it being a very silly world. Mm. in between it being horror i mean the horror is kind of silly too i mean that one has some <laughs> fucking banger songs in it though and music videos so mm. you know i don't fully discount it yeah that's the one that's um, from 2006 or something so. oh okay <laughs> uh, oh yeah i think i remember you were talking about that one you you see the style has developed a certain sort of way mm -hmm. uh the the coolest thing about this one besides the songs in my opinion Mm. Oh, they, oh, actually, there's a few cool things. Uh, the the two, I guess, main villains. We've got Kamiya, who's 
kind of a victim. I love Kamiya. She's my favorite character for sure. I really oh, yeah. enjoy her. She's uh, easy to identify with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she is problematic. She is an incel uh, from yep. the original meaning of incel. She's this lady who just can't get it on with this guy and she can't figure out what's not working. She's a nice girl. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he just likes mean girls even though he like even though he <laughs> likes the nicest girl in the freaking world. <laughs> I but yeah, I love her. She feels very tragic and Neola, the actual Dracula, is so great. I love oh. his blood red eyes. I love the yes. way he Kool-Aid mans through brick walls all the time. I love that scene where he just like seems to be shot out of a slingshot and hits the front of that car and starts just <laughs> attacking the shit out of the people. It's so cool. Uh, he does that twice. He does it a couple times. He's uh, like yeah. he he is a spring-loaded vampire. I really appreciate that. <laughs> uh, he is, I mean. It- as Dracula's go, he is top tier, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he's an outstanding vampire. He's got, like, this incredible face, uh, and, and, like, a lot of that is his real face. There's only, like, the veins in the forehead are makeup, I think. Yeah, he's got a Bella Lugosi-like countenance, which really works for him. He's got a very, uh, he's got a lot of face. He, he just has <laughs> a real uh, intense look to him. And, yeah, the, the red... Uh, contacts that they use just very blood red contacts they're very striking yeah and he knows how to walk with a cape Mm -hmm. Uh, he cuts an amazing silhouette when he does yeah again he has that bella lugosi energy he really knows how to do that nevla nevla is is the vampire uh slash he's an evil magician at the start yeah, uh, he dresses like a Dracula so yeah. much that I w- was shocked that he didn't start out as one. It's dress for the job you want. He was yeah. working his way there. That's they, true. That was the That's whole true. thing. And they're like, I, I mean, it's it's built into the movie where they do the big blood sacrifice and they kill him. And then they're totally shocked when he rises from the dead as a vampire. And they're like, how's he back from that blood sacrifice that he did? I don't understand. And like, that was the point, guys. <laughs> yeah um but you know maybe they maybe they're not used to vampires i guess (laughs) uh so the full title is band darwaza the bride of the vampire right which bride of the vampire is more accurate yeah yeah uh he chooses a few brides he he's trying to build a harem it looks like because he just keeps kidnapping different people at different points in time well but it never works out no, I mean, he uh, has his cult, but they don't really seem to, like, I, I I don't think he has anything going on with Mahua. No, no, I don't think so. I think he needs specifically young, fresh blood, or wants, I should say, young, fresh blood. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know his deal. He, I mean, at the beginning, he's not really a vampire. He just yeah. is aspiring to be one. And then later on, when he is a vampire, he just seems to be. Just like it, it is the spring loaded nature. He seems to be one of the more berserker vampires I've seen. Oh, he, I, I checked after becoming a vampire, he does not have a line of dialogue. He just no. roars. Yeah, he just becomes a fucking crazy psychotic monster that just bursts through walls. It rules. Oh, it's so good though. Like, because the cult, everybody else in the cult is like hilariously incompetent. But then when he shows up on screen, it's like shit's real now. 
I love their bat statue. I, I love their their <laughs> oh, comical. The you see, Halloween. Oh, it's beautiful. You see so much of it. It it has flashing eyes, these glowing eyes, and it's sort of just like a bat statue, but it's huge. They're they're <laughs> and, pop art bat, and I I love it. I want it. I I would put it in my room. <laughs> it's so it's so important to the story too. It turns out, and it's there for every scene transition, yeah. even when it doesn't make sense. It's just. Every time we cut to the bad guys, we just hear a thunder crash and we see the bat. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like you're cut into uh, the, the Legion of Doom's headquarters and you're like, da -da 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 -da. It's, yeah. it's, it's the establishing shot. It's how you know you're at the bad guy's HQ. <laughs> and we're going to spend a lot of time at the bad guy HQ because our good guys raid it five, four or five again. different times. They go into the bad guy place and beat everybody up. And then they're like, Where's Kamiya? We can't find her. Where is the bad guy place? <laughs> well, there's all these secret passages. Uh, yeah, all these I, closed which doors. I, right, I guess that's the closed doors that I we're guess. talking about. We've got a lot of closed doors, but I mean, a closed door means nothing to this vampire. <laughs> no, he doesn't care about doors. <laughs> his own entrance, like, when he first rises up as a vampire, he breaks through a wall in his own house. It's he his thing. <laughs> it's like he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's got to do this. You're going to hear that shattering glass. And then it's like, oh, shit, someone's going to get a stunner. <laughs> so what's this movie actually about? <laughs> I mean, it's basically Bram Stoker's Dracula. After this, like yeah. we, we have this preamble where... Uh, which is kind of like a basic preamble. I feel like I've seen it in a few of these already where mm -hmm. there's the lady who can't conceive. Yeah. And she makes a deal with the witch. Yeah. And... The deal, of course, being that uh, the, if, if it's a male child, they get to keep it. If it's a female child, uh, the cult gets it. And, you know, what are the odds? Um, well, it's a female child that they got through the black magic pregnancy. What a shock. Uh, and they refuse to give it over, obviously. Yeah, yeah. it's like, now you must give me the child. Well, no. Please? <laughs> like, I've changed my mind. I can't. I'm like, oh, I mean, we didn't expect this. Like, you should have expected this. And, and like, the witch goes back to the master empty-handed, and the master's <laughs> like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> it's like, you. Poisoned she said bitch. no. And, like, I, I mean... You would have expected she'd say no. Don't you have a contingency plan? Like, well, I was hoping you would give me one. Fine, <laughs> go poison her, and she kills her, and they take the baby. Yeah, and so, th this uh, baby grows up to be Kamiya, correct? Uh, the baby grows up to be Kamiya, but she does get rescued by yes. the dad. Well, yeah, they they all. This is the first raid. They all come in. They kill uh, our evil magician Nevla, uh, and later he becomes a vampire. Yeah. But uh, yeah, from gets, this because they're doing from... a whole ritual when they get there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, Patrap Singh is the dad. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one who stabs the vampire through the heart with a regular knife, so you know he's going to come back. Of course. Yeah. He he's and... our our latest Thakur. Uh, we've mm -hmm. we've had a number of Thakurs uh, throughout these. Uh, yeah, he. He is going to harbor a lot of guilt about everything that happened because, like, it's my terrible wife who did this, and I'm at fault. But he's not going to do a lot about it afterwards. No, I feel like he's 
he, he, somehow he blew it. I, he only knew violence, so he's able to kill the evil magician, but he's completely incapable of raising Kamya in any useful sort of way. Something oh. goes wrong with her along the way, and I think it's him to blame more than it's the evil dead magician. I think, well, I think because uh, he's not so. Addressed. Well, I, I yeah, I think it's that he lived with the idea that she's cursed and yeah. completely would not let go of it. That yeah, I, I honestly cast a shadow on it. her life. Yeah, yeah. They they don't directly address it in the movie, but every time he looks at the painting of his wife, he's just like. You made a deal with the devil, you dumb bitch. Yeah, he, he just never lets go. It's it's always uh, he, he, no guilt on him. No, <laughs> Ever. even though the reason that she was going to make the deal with the devil is because if she didn't produce an heir, he was going to sleep with somebody else to get one. Although it did seem like Although, he wasn't going to, like he definitely was... did not give off the vibe that he would. But there was no, this lady right. who was the end. Yeah. There, yeah. There's this other lady who really seemed to be interested, and she panicked over it. She didn't trust yeah. him. And, and to be fair, he didn't do anything to reassure her. No. I mean, he definitely... It's... The the needing a child, needing an heir thing is a very big deal for him. Uh, and yeah. I do feel like he ultimately kind of regrets that, but it's only because he ended up with Kamya and he doesn't like her. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would have been happier if she gave Kamya to the cult and it's like, all right, let's try again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, Kamya, though, I like her. <laughs> I like her a lot. I, I like her energy. There is that one scene that, that's her seduction song where it's just like her walking in the background constantly like making the same motions or like a, a walk like an egyptian music video sort of thing oh yeah the one where it's like she's pulling a rope uh but like miming pulling a rope and just <laughs> endlessly crossing behind the the foregrounded head of our main guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> she she is she's on his mind yeah yeah uh but at the beginning here, she is unhealthily obsessed with Kumar. Yes. Uh, Kumar is our hero. Hero in quotes. Yeah. Well, he's okay. Yeah, he's I mean, he's a good guy. It's just he he's clueless and he doesn't yeah. really do a whole lot for a lot of runtime. And I mean, so he's got this other lady who is very chaste and Kamya is really into him. He's like hey this lady won't put out i will why are you not into me i don't know why we can't get this thing together and like i can't believe how forward you are you're the worst you're an evil girl <laughs> kumar it has zero interest in kamiya yeah. not even like faint interest just like she's being all like super seductive in the waterfall and like being as hot as she can be and kumar is just like whatever She's just grown up with the crush on him, it seems like. And it is just, she has this very strong fixation and she can't let it go. And yeah. it destroys her. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, literally, it, yes. this is what kills her. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's, spoiler alert, she dies. I yeah, she dies. It it's it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah, she's definitely one of the more likable characters who's been sort of 
classified as a villain, even though she doesn't really do anything all that villainous. She just, she's into this guy. (laughs) He's not into her. (laughs) She makes the deal and then she casts a spell on him once. And then they're like, all right, you use the power that we gave you. Yeah, but they don't care. It doesn't ever work. She she tries to use like this love potion. Like, yeah, I mean, he gets, he's interested. And then it's like, wait, you're Kamya. I'm not into you. It's like, oh yeah, it's man, like this power, sucks. <laughs> the power of his not into herness overwrites love magic. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other main girl is Sapna, who Kumar is in love with. She's adorable and sweet and does not do sex no she's very very chaste she's uh this is why she's the hero this is why you know it it is a very conservative country Mm -hmm. and so very conservative viewpoint this is why kenya is a villain because she wants sex and sapna is the hero because she does not Kamiya just knows what she wants and sapna well sapna has a whole song about how she wants sex but can't want it yeah, she she must repress it, and it's important too. Is, is that when she's tied up in chains, or is it only uh, we see Kamiya tied up in chains complaining about it? It's only Kamiya in chains. And One of my favorite things about this movie is that the songs involve the characters in the actual situations, and like she's tied up and complaining about it for a few songs. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, one of the things uh, that kind of gets to me is that some of the songs aren't translated. Mm, so there's yeah. a song that Kumar sings that I have no idea what it is. Right. I, I think I know the one you mean. And He's it's just like, on top of a canyon. Yeah. I, I think it's because there's it's just a lot of repeated lines and they maybe give mm. a little bit of it at the start. But it's just, I don't know. It's just a song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> It's a song. It doesn't matter. Some of them don't matter. Like most of them do kind of have something to do with the plot, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we meet Sapna. She is driving into town. She goes to college in Bombay, uh, but she's driving into town and she through the Black Mountain in the middle of the night, which is the only time anybody ever drives in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, And she encounters this hitchhiker lady who I'm calling the witch hiker. And the witch hiker takes her to the Black Mountain where she witnesses the witch hiker getting human sacrificed. And she picks up the, the witch hiker's journal, and that's how everybody gets the spell book at the beginning. Okay, so this the spell book is the thing we were talking about, that fucking ludicrous looking <laughs> fakey. It is a very silly prop. It looks like it was made by a kid. It's a it's very scrapbooky. The cartoony <laughs> cover, which I feel like it's sort of a pop art representation of our bat statue, right? I think so. It's like a goofy skull and crossbones, but there's also like glitter stickers and stuff. And there's like a triangle thing. It's it's sort of cone shaped. Yeah, I I feel like we're. It's it looks like a a skull ice cream cone, but it's also it reminds me of the shape of the bat. But yeah, uh, it's very silly looking. And of course, when she's sneaking through the castle, we're getting and the uh, the Harry Manfredini uh, Friday the 13th score very distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so she runs away from the castle when she sees the ritual. 
This is uh, the second time they've gone into the castle. And she tells everybody about it, but nobody believes her, even though like it's they've all dealt with it yeah because they feel they dealt with it and they killed him this is what i'm talking about where it's like oh well i mean we killed him during that big blood rituals uh uh, so i mean he couldn't be back as a vampire even though that's literally what he was doing Uh, that probably didn't actually happen like i i don't i don't know they're they're (laughs) their disbelief is stupid but again it's it's because they don't trust her specifically I guess. Okay. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's 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 not clear because like the, the, these are the same families that went there and dealt with the shit. And the dad should at least be like, "Hey, this they're used." Well, to that's be what I'm saying. It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. He was involved in this. It, it, I I assume it's because he felt that it's dealt with, but it doesn't make sense that he would not realize that there was supposed to be a magic ritual because it's what they were in the middle of when they did this thing. It just. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't speak well of the intelligence of the characters. And that's kind of what I feel of all of the characters in this. They're all a little dim. Uh yeah. is the only one with any real life or drive to her. Everyone else is just kind of waiting for an opportunity to get married and have sex. And they don't really have anything else in mind. It's like, we have to repress everything else until we can get married and have sex. And then it will be wonderful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Uh, but somehow Kamiya gets her hands on the book. Yeah. And she's like, well, shit, this looks like real magic. I can learn real magic and then force Kumar to fall in love with me. Yeah, I'll I'll use a, a romance spell. Uh, and uh, it, it'll be better for him because it, he can finally uh, get that nut and then he can just think about something else for once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she starts casting a spell, and that's when the cult finds her, and they're like, hey, we will give you the power to make Kumar yours, or whatever the hell else you want. You just gotta do a little thing, you just gotta be our slave for all eternity. Well, you, we technically own you already, you you were born to us, and we belong. Yeah. you belong to us anyway, so uh, you should work with us, and we'll get you your guy. She's like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So we've got Sapna's birthday where Kumar gets so incredibly wasted that he can't get home and he has to sleep in the guest room and he has a song about how he can't have sex with Sapna and Sapna's also singing about how she can't have sex with him even though they both want it but that's just not how it works here. Yeah. And yeah, not allowed. Yeah, uh, not yeah. A- absolutely not not acceptable. Uh, so it's a good time for Kamiya to seduce him because he's really horny. Oh, yeah. And uh, this song is actually a banger. This oh, song rules. Yeah. It's great. Even though, like, the premise is kind of stupid. Yeah, I mean, most of well, the actually, songs Well, actually, no, it's this... not stupid. It's like, we both want to fuck, but society won't let us. That's not a stupid premise at all. What am I saying? Yeah, no, it's it's pretty good. And yeah, it, it rocks. I think basically every song from this point forward is really good. I, mm-hmm. I think uh, the songs in this are kind of rad, though, yeah. pretty much the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's probably my favorite. Yeah, whereas like with Virana, the incidental music was really fucking awesome, but the songs were so-so. Like, they, they were bad, but they weren't yeah. as consistently great. They're not as memorable. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so... So after they do their song, 
uh, Kamiya just goes, Umar. And that's the whole spell, I guess. Yeah. And, and he goes sleepwalking to the graveyard where they begin to make out. And yeah. Sapna just stumbles upon Kumar's car because that seems to be her special power is finding Kumar. And and Kumar has no idea how he got to the graveyard or what he's doing there or why. And he's like, hey, you're Kamya. I'm not into you. I'm into Sapna. Yeah, it's like, but you're under my spell, though. He's like, man, not really. Like, yeah, man, outfoxed. <laughs> yeah, so she <laughs> not really fair. Yeah, uh, she takes off. Yeah, they bring Kumar back home, and Sapna's like, "Yo, Kamiya bewitched you with a spell," and everyone's like, "Dude, no, that's not a thing. Magic that's, isn't real, and there's yeah, no that's cult. silly. That that's a that's completely absurd. And to be fair, it it is kind of absurd. And like, it, it seems like a, an excuse that he would have made because they all know Kamiya's into him. Everybody oh, yeah. knows it. Oh God, like, <laughs> she can't shut up about it. Yeah, like, come on." get real there's no such thing as magic you're just being idiots like he they, you know if he's into cameo then let it be into cameo whatever but except cameo is an evil child so that she can, yeah. cannot be yeah and but he's not into cameo no he's totally not and it's weird at this point it sort of turns into dracula but if there was no van helsing and they just kind of figured things out through thinking about it because yeah, it's the basically. same pattern. You have the one girl who's already sort of bewitched, and Dracula's going after the other girl. And yeah, because we've got this third girl uh, who Dracula's going to go after. I, I don't know at what point because he kind of like alternates between them. Uh, he chases two different girls through the same uh, rotting wood and rusty fork factory. Uh, Banu, right? Yeah, Banu is the, the Banu. third girl. Yeah. She's. Sapna's sister-in-law, I think. Right, Not which that definitely it really matters. Right, I mean, it it just feels much like uh, Mina Harker and uh, the other girl, yeah, so forth, uh, which they have, and it it also beckons back to the more classic Bram Stoker thing, where the Dracula is more of a monster, like he's much more of a a beast than mm-hmm. he is a cultured gentleman. Yeah, yeah, that oh man, that's what I like about this dracula because he still dresses really fancy and stuff but he's just like Rawr! he's dressed like any classic dracula he's dressed exactly like vela lugosi except yeah he's a fucking monster he has blood red eyes he bursts through walls and he just roars and bites people it's fucking awesome oh man <laughs> i love I, I love this dracula so much it's so good uh, <laughs> Yeah, upper tier Dracula for sure. So, uh, Kamiya's spell has failed, and the minions are like, "Well, the or the cult is like, well, you know what? Okay, yeah, you, you got your five minutes where you had unlimited power. Now you belong to us. Now you are our slave forever." And she's like, uh, "But I didn't even get the guy. Too bad." Like, yeah, I mean, the magic wasn't good enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The guy's not into you. What what can we do? <laughs> he, he is supernaturally not into you. <laughs> Sorry, like he's just not interested. We we can't really help with that. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Next we have the scene on the riverbank where Kumar's like wandering, uh, because now he is kind of torn be- between Kamiya and Sapna because the spell took a yeah. little effect. So right. Sapna has to sing him back to her side, which she does. 
Yeah, and this is the one where she's like uh, Kamya seems to be in the background dancing yeah. over his head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she, he seems, he keeps seeing like hallucinations of her, and but this yeah. is the song where the spell gets completely broken. Yeah, but again, a banger, and it's yeah. it moves the plot forward. Like it's actually central to the plot. It changes mm-hmm. uh, an element in the movie, which is yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, so. Now that Kumar's the spell's broken, uh, they decide to go and raid Black Mountain once and for all, except we're at the halfway point of the movie. This is yeah. now the fourth time that they've gone to the mountain. I skipped over one where nothing happened. Yeah, and they go there and it's... <laughs> but this is the one where Dracula wakes up. Yes, he wakes up, he busts through a fucking wall, because he's gotta, because <laughs> it's his thing. Yep. He's got smoke powers, and he takes Kamiya away to somewhere. We're going to find out deeper into the exact same castle, but... Yeah, of course. <laughs> he he doesn't leave the castle for the most part, except when he attacks those people on the road that one time. Mm-hmm. But uh, Patrap came along for this raid, I guess, and he cuts off the head of the witch. Yeah. Uh, but they, but yeah, Dracula took Kamiya away, and now we've got Kamiya's chained sexy prisoner song. I love it. I, I just love that there is a song where she's in chains next to just like this big pit. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And, <laughs> and she's, she's complaining like, about it. It's like, this sucks. I'm chained up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but feel that this might be a little bit my fault. Yeah, and like I, I kind of screwed up, but also this stinks. Uh, I didn't get anything out of this. What a bummer! <laughs> yeah, and and like she's and during this song as she's singing it, she's like being stalked by the shadow of the master in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah, I, it's just I dig that the horror crosses over into the songs because it yes. just it doesn't happen in any of the others <laughs> I've seen. Like a little bit in Atma. Atma has a murder song that's pretty great. Ooh, cool. Uh, so Kamiya's new mission is to bring Banu to the master. Right. Uh, well, whatever. You're a slave now. You're you're just another one of my minions. So bring Banu to me. She's going to be the wife now because I guess you suck. Well, yeah, or I guess I mean, he nobody, needs more than one wife. I think nobody wants Kamiya. Also, you're an evil oh. child and you, I mean, you're cursed. So I can't really, you're not pure enough. I need to have a pure but virgin he's the one bride. who cursed her. I mean, that's, I mean, it's it's the same problem. Like she's she's damned no matter what happens. It's the same problem she has with her dad. Yeah. You see, yeah, she was screwed just because of how <laughs> she was born. I, I mean, mm, that that do be and that do be how it is in India. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of places. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think there is kind of uh, an an element of uh, social satire in there. Hmm. So this is the first time we go to the uh, uh, rotting wood and splinter factory. Uh, that's this is where Kamiya takes Banu, where she gets stalked by the vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vampire catches her and drinks her blood, of course. Yeah, and then and then he Kool Aid mans the hell out of the factory, even though nobody's rules. chasing him. Yeah, it's just the way he does things. Him <laughs> just busting through walls, like every time he did it, it's like yes, yes. <laughs> and now patrap is finally like okay well you know what my demon child is doing her demon child thing so everybody shoot her on sight and everyone's like dude what he's like man i think you need to chill out 
you you <laughs> declared uh like a bounty on your daughter just because something has happened and you feel like oh it's probably her fault it's always her fault she's the bad one my wife sold her soul to the devil <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i drove her to do it <laughs> maybe and they hunt down Mahua and fucking murder her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the witch who initially did the deal. The, the original serving lady who who uh, facilitated the thing. They go to, I think they raid the place yet again, and they find Mahua and they chop her fucking head off. Oh, that that was the last raid where they did that. Oh, that was that one? Okay. Yeah, uh, although they, they're going back pretty soon, because now Kamiya uh, and and uh, the Dracula are stalking Sapna on the road. This is where he belly flops onto right. the hood of the car. It's awesome. <laughs> what yeah. an amazing moment. <laughs> Kumar arrives because, you know, Kumar and Sapna can find each other immediately. That seems to be their special power. Yeah, well, they, they have, uh, you know, it's it's their, their musical power because they can find mm-hmm. each other through song and change oh. the stage of the movie through song. Oh, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. And he arrives last second, so Dracula Kool-Aid man's out and doesn't yeah. kidnap Sapna this time. It rolls every yep. time. <laughs> so this is Kumar's untranslated song on top of the hill where I think he's wondering. I don't know what he's singing about. I think it's like, where did Kamiya go? She, I kind of maybe drove her to this too. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I don't recall the the song too deeply. Yeah, it this particular one. Like I said, there are a few of them that are embedded in my mind. This one's like I vaguely recall, but yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. remember what it was about. Well, we don't know what it was about. It's not translated. Know. Oh, although it does part of the plot anyway, because Kamiya from her dungeon hears him singing, and she calls out to him, and that's how they find her in the same fucking place and raid it again. <laughs> right it's another place where the song kind of crosses over to reality and again it's her chained up again which yeah. I, I just find it funny that there are songs where she's just chained up and bored and it, it crosses multiple songs mm-hmm. that, that just it, it was very amusing to like have another song and like she's still chained up there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so this song? <laughs> so so this time it's just kumar and sap narrating the bass uh kumar breaks the chain that's holding kamiya uh and they ha- they get into a big fight with all the goons. They defeat they actually defeat a couple of the goons here, like, but uh, manage. They have to escape on a horse and cart. I guess we don't see them take this cart. They're just on one. But then, then doesn't Kamya kill the vampire? Because they've uh, wounded the vampire and they take off. And doesn't Kamya then? Go after her. she. She attacks the vampire with the same dagger. Uh, I, I that's a bit later because I think that's, oh, that's right later. Around... Yeah, uh, I think like everything from this point is just a blur of a thing happens and a thing happens and a thing happens. Yeah. Uh, basically, Banu, Sapna, and Kamia for the next like hour just trade places being captured. Eventually, they they raid the base a few more times. Both Banu and Anand get killed yes. eventually. Yeah, Banu dies from being bitten by a vampire a whole bunch. and I think both of them. I think uh, the vampire gets both of them. And then Sapna is 
next, but then uh, Pratap shows up again. Uh, let's see. Yeah, minions approach Sapna. She fights them off a bit, but she ends up getting kidnapped. Uh, and I think it's Pratap and Kumar gotta go and save her this time. Oh, uh, right. They interrogate one of the one of the main goons. And he's like, ah, yes, you don't know the secret. There is a door behind another door behind another door. Yeah. Dracula kidnaps Kamiya from her house because I guess they got her back in the last raid. So the, the final raid is like 10 minutes, but there's so much shit that happens that it's my my notes are basically just scribbles uh but they've been to the they've been to the base so many times that they've managed to set up booby traps there because as they're fighting dracula he tries to retreat back into his coffin and there's a crucifix there right and then he tries to go to his other coffin and there's a holy quran there and it's screaming at him it's like holy quran yeah it is kind of weird that they have multiple different religious symbols usually they stick to just hindu symbols uh although yeah. I, I think virana was also christian symbols i can't remember I, one I of think these that was i think virana was just hindi I okay because there's um, another one that was like almost exactly the same except it was using christian symbols it might have been like the next one in the set yeah uh during this raid kamiya is thinking she's gonna stab dracula with a knife and he just picks her up and Puts like just hangs her up on a spiked wall, just embeds her in the thing. Yeah, she's thrown a thrown on a bunch of spikes and impaled. And she, yeah, rip Kamiya. She does not live through this. Yeah, which it's it's kind of brutal because she's definitely the best character in the movie. Other than oh, for sure. I mean the the villain. The villain's pretty yeah. bad, but Th- it, they two... are very boring and generic heroes. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a similar scene to uh, Virana where they're in a jeep chasing the bad guys in a cart and wagon. Uh, they've loaded up, I think they've loaded up the coffin onto the wagon. And there's a big right. chase and shootout. Uh, and yeah, they, they have to fight him on a mountain so during the yeah. sunrise so he can burst into flames. Yeah, but that doesn't finish him off because uh, the true source of his power is is the bat statue. Oh yeah, they have to burn the bat statue and that's so what makes him burn up. And raise the fucking base again with a pitchfork and torches mob. And yeah, that's what kills him finally on like the eighth raid of his base. Right. Yeah, they they should have just focused their attacks on the bat the whole time. Well, it was a spirit Halloween bat. You weren't you weren't going to figure on that being important. I mean, it was in every establishing shot, so they they should have assumed. I mean, if if the musical sequences can have an effect on everything else, they should be a little bit aware. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, But in the end, (laughs) the master is on fire and he rolls down a hill and kind of melts and turns into ash. It's pretty funny. And we've got it. it It is an amusing conclusion to him that he just like bursts into flames and falls down a hell just like rolls rolls a bunch (laughs) on fire Uh, and we get our we get everybody just at the top of the hill looking down at him in our narrative of no matter how strong the evil in the end god's will triumphs yeah these all do have a very religious get a very churchy ending like oh but you know evil will be destroyed by god Mm -hmm. yeah which uh which is interesting like 
normally they in western movies they would try to set up a sequel hook like a, is he really dead but at this they're like no he's really dead god spited him yeah he's dead because god we, we don't do sequels we do three and a half hour long movies if we if we want to get <laughs> a lot of plot yeah don't you want to find out what happens to sapna and kumar next no i don't completely uninteresting yeah <laughs> but i was surprised at how much of a body count this movie had like every yes. side character gets killed off besides yeah sapna and kumar i think yeah no it's pretty rad i i really appreciate how much an actual horror movie this is for the most part mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no i really like this um the, even though i can barely remember anything specific about the stalking bits i remember i enjoyed them at the time they were intense when they were happening yeah i mean it's a movie that repeats a lot like it's doing a lot of things a bunch of times and it's like it just sort of blends together it, it is an experience it's a ride a, you know it's a big musical thing the bollywood movies are a very specific flavor and they're built for you to just kind of take it in and and you can miss chunks because they'll do it again <laughs> you'll you'll see it another time you can like step out for a smoke for a while and then you come back and it's like okay it'll catch me up i don't really need to miss much <laughs> uh, did i miss a raid on the base oh well there'll be another one there'll be a few more it's fine <laughs> i did lose count but i honestly think it's like eight times they go to the enemy's base to raid it well because there's only a couple locations there's the base and that's just like it's one the coolest looking location they have and then there's mm-hmm. the the house that they're all in and so, you know yeah. it's a big sprawling beautiful house yeah. but they don't have any other locations they're just going between those two and sometimes <laughs> like out on a mountaintop yeah yeah. So that brings us to our second feature, which is The Mysterious Castle in the Carpathians, a 1981 Czech film uh, from director Oldrich Lipsky. Uh, also, Yuri Berdeka uh, involved in doing the uh, stop motion and effects and co-writer, a very important figure in uh, experimental cinema in Czechoslovakia. Really great stuff, but his stuff is uh, difficult to get. Um, yeah, so this... This movie also has a castle uh, that may or may not be haunted, an evil castle. Yeah. So Castle in the Carpathians is based on a novel by Jules Verne. I bought the complete works of Jules Verne because they're only 99 cents on the Kindle. Oh, (laughs) can't Uh, beat that price. Yeah, 47 novels for 99 cents. I mean, why wouldn't I? So I I started reading Mysterious Castle. I I think it's just called uh, The Castle in the Carpathians, uh, original title. And I think it's supposed to be funny. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like like eight chapters in and uh, the Count Teleka has just shown up. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Um, and it's not like other stuff has been happening. <laughs> what? <laughs> you get so many, there's so many paragraphs where it's just like, they'll give you a little bit of background on Czech culture because, you know, it's not written by someone from, you know, Jules Verne, he was a French novelist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and they just list every synonym and they, they're just like, oh, here's <laughs> a bunch of words that are used here. Here's a list of places in Czechoslovakia. Oh boy. Uh, here's a description of the mountain. Here's another description of the mountain. Did we mention there's an escarpment? There's an escarpment. They're on the mountain with an escarpment. And it reminds just... me of reading Lord of the Rings. 
it's even worse. Like, it's way worse than Lord of the Rings. It's got that kind of Lord of the Rings thing. It was like, and then the wind was coming from this direction. And then Oh, boy. it's, it's that kind of thing. But it's like, I think it's supposed to be funny. Like, it's written Hmm. in a sort of way that I think I'm supposed to be laughing at it, but I am not. Hmm, I see. And it doesn't have the surrealist humor that the movie has. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, the Forester is supposed to be heroic. Oh. They're, they keep talking about how he's like this really robust outdoorsy guy and, you know, he's a really fucking cool forester and he's really driven. And that is not the character in the movie. Do <laughs> the, the the fainting forester forester. in the movie <laughs> he's just he he's there so that our hero can exposit at somebody. I kind He's of feel Watson. yeah, basically. I kind of feel like the book is probably a little laughed at in Czechoslovakia that it's it's depiction of Czech culture is very twee and ridiculous and it's just here are a list of things in in Czech culture and then it feels like I feel like it's probably getting most of it wrong and it just feels like a very silly interpretation I kind of think they're doing a satire like they are making a joke about the book as much as they're adapting the book because i'm not liking the book quite frankly i think it kind of stinks uh but the movie is great Mm. <laughs> I like the movie. Uh, I had I like a lot it quite of fun a bit. yeah Yeah. Um we have yeah, we have some interesting characters here. Like we've got our Baron. It, he reminds me of a silent movie villain, much like uh the Dracula from uh Bandarwaza. Yeah, uh, Baron Gorka. Uh, or Gork? Is it just Gork? Gorge? Gorch. Gorge? Yeah, it's like a C with a... Something a C at with the an end. accent. Gorku sometimes. Uh, he was Baron Munchausen in The Fabulous Baron Munchausen. Oh, shit. No way. Cool. Uh, Milos Kopecki, same actor. Oh, no way. I I couldn't believe this movie came out in 81. This feels newer. Like, the mad scientist feels like a 90s mad scientist. Yeah, and I love his, yeah the pet mad scientist that he has on uh, that the the Baron has. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this kind, this movie kind of feels out of time because the Baron feels like he comes from the twenties or thirties. The mad scientist feels like he comes from the future. Uh, our hero Felix feels like a I can't place it, but a very specific kind of. tv movie or hero in like i want to say the 70s or 80s but i'm not sure and, and Yeah. i can't i can't name an equivalent that i'm Well, thinking he of but he is Sherlocky for sure. He definitely has kind of a like maybe one of the various BBC Sherlock's. He definitely has that sort of vibe to him. that's Uh, what i'm thinking of a, a a bbc sherlock yeah. not not the cumberbatch one of course but No, no. But I mean, this is from 81. yeah And like, obviously, it is out of time in that it's steampunk. And it's interesting in that it is set in 1897, which is when the actual novel comes out. And the novel, Mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming it becomes kind of steampunk. I haven't gotten to fucking anything happening yet. Uh, eight chapters in, like we, there is the part where the forester sees something, but it says that he sees something and is shocked by it. And they don't say what it is. And now
the oh. I, I I getting the impression that it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> it could be an issue with translation. I think it maybe was originally written in French and maybe it's lost some of that, but Oh, that could it, be. I I don't think it's enough. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like it's a lot of just repeating things and people talking around things in very annoying ways. <laughs> but that I think are supposed to be amusing. Hmm. Well, we uh, we don't wait eight chapters to meet uh, Count Felix Teleke of Teleke. Teleke of Teleke. And I, I do love that uh, the Baron can never get it right. He just always <laughs> calls him Teleke. And it's like, Teleke. Like, it's Teleke of Teleke. Whatever, Teleke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he... He wants to go on an adventure so that he can forget about his lost love, which we don't know what happened, but we are going to find out. He's going to talk about her at length. <laughs> and he comes over a hill with his, uh, I guess his butler, Ignatz. And... Yeah, he, he's sort of, uh, uh, fuck, what's the word? A porter. You know, he, he's the yeah. guy who carries his shit and has to, you know... He he's lugging all the the luggage. Yeah, carrying yeah. his umbrella and stuff. And he's like, "Hey, that looks like a vampire castle. I want to go there." Uh, but unlike our last movie, where they go there eight times, it takes him forty minutes to get there. But once they're there, they pretty much spend the rest of the movie there. Oh yeah, they don't leave once they're in the castle because they are kind of trapped. Yeah, so he's like, ah, oh, man, I want to have a rad adventure in that spooky castle. And he sees all these, like, signs that are just fingers pointing at the castle. And That's one cool. of them is just an arm. It's right, there is, there just is an arm. Uh, and and they they find, like, the, the, the signpost, like, at the fork in the path. And I'm like, hey, wait a second, there's this guy buried in the leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like looks like a corpse, but no, he just fainted. This is our fainting forester. It's such a funny introduction, especially having read as much of the novel as I have, where he's this rigorous outdoorsman, and you know, when he comes back to town, everybody's been worried about him for days, and because this is just, it's we're spending so much time with just these people before we meet uh, Count Leke, <laughs> who I, I don't think he's named that. Oh, most of the names seem to be totally different. Oh, okay. Uh, like the town in the book is just called Worst. <laughs> I think, I think that's actually a better name for it's, a town. I I think Worst is pretty funny, uh, just <laughs> as as a more subtle joke. But where West Werewolfston is pretty good. Mm -hmm. There's I, no werewolves in the film. <laughs> no, just West Werewolfston is is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, him, <laughs> him just buried in leaves and he's passed out. I'm like, oh, what's this guy's deal? I'm like, hey, you wake up. <laughs> so they bring him back to town and he won't talk about what happened. He's like, I don't remember. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't remember. Yeah. And, and it will eventually come out that it's because he was struck by the beauty of this opera singer, which is uh, Count Teleke's lost love. Uh, salsa verde <laughs> salsa verde the prima donna yes uh yeah so and he doesn't want the wife to find out that that's why he fainted right uh so we start to meet some of the townsfolk most of whom aren't going to be relevant but that's okay uh they're just here to warn him about the castle 
Yeah, like any classic town full of peasants before you go to Dracula's castle. This is a book that came out before Dracula and is said to be a very strong influence on it. Hmm. I can see it. I can see it, yeah. Like I mean, doing that as a serious thing rather than as a joke. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the same location. It is in Transylvania. Ooh. Like, that. that is, like, they say Transylvania so much in the book. <laughs> uh they they only kind of allude to it here uh yeah. the baron mentions the sound that somebody sings when they uh go down the spike at one point right which is a uh, vlad something vlad the impaler is said to have done right but yeah i like the i like the main town's guy who has the story about the haunted castle he's just like this sheep man who comes up from this pile of uh wool blankets yeah this guy's like a very important character at the start of the book uh oh, really? shepherd frick uh um, he's the guy who starts the whole thing he's the guy who's the first one who sees something coming out of the castle and uh he warns everybody and he's just been really hopped up and so it's on his advice although of course um and i think this is a thing that is alluded to having happened in the movie but we don't see it happen is that uh the forester was hanging out in the local inn and bar and a voice told like was insulting him <laughs> through mm. one of you know the the various tubes that uh, our our mad baron has where he can just like communicate or watch the town yeah <laughs> so it insulted him and that's why he went to the castle Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something that he would do. We also meet uh, Tom Deffendum, who is <laughs> yeah. going to be an important character because he's the Baron's uh, hes the Baron's odd job. Right. And he's uh, the Baron is obsessed with his beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Baron is all about beards. You can't be a good minion if you don't have a good beard, no matter oh. how successful you actually are big beard culture he hates the bad doctor not having enough of a beard <laughs> he's got like a shitty he's got a shitty goatee yeah i mean he's right it's not a very good beard although it will later turn out that tom deaf and dumb's beard is fake it looks fake it's so obviously <laughs> fake and it, I, I i mean it's part of the fun is that the baron is constantly talking about how incredibly real and, and great his beard is compared to <laughs> Yeah, it's great compared to the scientists yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I love the the running gag of just different things hiding in tom's beard yeah like he's got all these weapons in there like guns and shit yeah he keeps pulling it aside to reveal something it, you know it's it's like a secret portal where he can uh pull anything like in that uh, punisher series when he was electrocuted and, and executed by the states, and then he came back from the dead, and he could pull guns out of his chest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, after hearing that the count, the count Felix, is undeterred by the story of the haunted forest or the haunted castle, uh, Tom zooms over to the castle. I love this scene. This oh. feels like something from like a '30s silent film. <laughs> the motor dress yes that's as the he's fucking just... coolest <laughs> like my favorite parts of the whole movie are is when they're emulating the silent film era like mm -hmm. with kind of stop motion or whatever like this here the yuri Burdeka stuff yeah 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 like 
like I could do without the jokes about him singing and breaking glass. I'm yeah, just like, yeah, it's overdone. This character, okay. they do it a whole bunch. Yeah, because like every time he's in a situation, I have no idea if that's in the book. I, I will report back. I will still continue to try to read this garbage. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'll come to enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah, but but it turns out that his singing ends up being a secret weapon against the Baron's devices. But right. That won't come up until much later. Well, it's not so much a secret weapon against his devices. It, it just breaks everything. Yeah. He has this incredibly powerful voice and he just is constantly destroying stuff with it. Because he's an opera singer. That's his main <laughs> main gig. Yep. So Felix and the butler are hiking through these gorgeous hills. I love the locations here. Yeah, it's the real Carpathians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, as they're staking out the castle, they hear Felix playing an opera song on the harmonica. An opera song that, or not Felix, um, the Forester. Forester. Vilia, that's his name. Yeah, I, I, it's a different name in the book. Okay. His name Forrester. is Nick, in the book. His name is Nick Deck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't right. know. I don't know if that's a Czech name, but all right, sure. <laughs> it's it's Nick with a it's N I C. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. It, it, it's he's the main character for like the first seven chapters, and he's hmm. painted as very heroic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this isn't the same. Yeah. So Felix is like, hey, that is a very specific song. Uh, where did you hear it? And the forester's like, oh, well, when I was snooping around the castle, I I heard the sound coming from the window and I saw the most beautiful woman. So I climbed up to go see and the window silver was electrified. Right, he got zapped, but he also uh, heard this song by this yep. by Salsa Verde. And he by... like, Teleke knows it immediately. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is only she sings this song, so you must have heard her. So you're saying that she's at the castle, right? And which doesn't like, I guess really so. doesn't make sense because uh, if she's a famous opera singer who did these songs famously in various opera halls, uh, there's lots of people who could know that song and be singing it. But anyway, yeah. Uh, well, one of the townspeople did mention that Robert Gorch. Yes. Owns the castle, and he knows Robert Gorcha from yeah, before, which we that, don't know that. That that is the like that's where I've gotten to in the book is that exact moment where which they do have where he's in the inn, and they mention like, oh, well, the castle is owned by Robert Gorch, and like, oh shit, now <laughs> I know what's going on here, and he just gets the whole thing right there. Yeah. Like, oh, well, he's got my lady. I got to go to that castle right now. And, and that's the conclusion he comes to in the movie, yeah. too. But first, he has to uh, expose it to the forester about some of the backstory. Yeah. Uh, basically, how he met Salsa by being a star in the opera. And she was a rising star as well. Yeah. The two of them were had this vast romance. But there's this guy who kept stalking her, and he was this gross little weird baron. Yep. And, like, he just kept getting closer and closer to her and she couldn't get rid of him and coming to every one, show it was starting to distract her yeah and uh yeah one day he i guess i think he like appeared back no he showed up in the balcony and ruined felix's part of the duet with a party streamer with one of those things yeah yeah 
and it just was too much for her and she had a heart attack right and, and there, it's like a suggestion that, that they were it, it, it was at the time that they were just about to be married so yeah. uh th there is some suggestion that he potentially poisoned her or something which didn't actually happen hmm. but the body disappears yes so Felix's conclusion is that Gorgia somehow hypnotized Salsa into a death-like state to trick the doctors, and then he kidnapped her afterwards. Right. Which, um... Which, no, she died. Yeah, uh, she and, died. And then, like, as it, as it will be revealed later, he just has an animatronic of her, and he has various recordings, because he's a little bit ahead, and he has developed film and sound recording. Uh, which mm. are just about there. Like, we're so close to them being invented already. On the telephone, I do believe exists in some form at this point. Yeah, I mean, film 1897, I think we have the first couple uh, oh, early shit. films as well. I think you're right. Oh, man, I th I didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, all of these things had started to be developed, but, like, it was just starting. Mm-hmm. And up here in, like, this remote castle in the Carpathians, uh, you're not really doing that. But he has, like, uh, he can, like, the film camera was pretty primitive at this point. He has, like, television camera. He, oh, yeah. He has cameras <laughs> that are beaming to him surveillance uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, he has CCTV of yeah. the whole, like, coverage of the whole Werewolfston. Right. And I'm I'm interested to see how much of this is in the original book. This is the reason I want to keep reading it is to Actually, get yeah. an idea of how much was sort of predicted in that. Oh man, I you know I would read it just for that reason. Well, yeah, that's what I'm was, doing. If it was good, <laughs> <laughs> if it could keep my interest, I uh, I have a hard time when things don't keep my interest. So. <laughs> so they, they finally get inside the castle at the forty minute mark, but they're going to stay there. Right, they're they're kind of trapped in there immediately. They're they get into this tea room and it closes them in, but they're pretty chill about it for a while. And then finally, he can just use his voice to break the door to get him out. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, uh, yeah, but it ends up not really mattering because this is also this room is also an elevator, and behind the door can just be stone walls sometimes. Sometimes, if sometimes. necessary. Yeah, yeah. This is. It's not a haunted house, but it is a nothing but trouble house. It's a trick house. A trap house, just like yeah. uh, nothing but trouble and uh, people under the stairs. Oh, yeah. We've um, had some H trap houses. H.H. Holmes is around this time. Yeah, that's around here. Yes. Uh, let me think. Maybe a that's... bit before. Ooh, I'm thinking a little bit later. Oh, hmm. Oh, I I'm going to look it up. Uh, the World's Columbia, 1893. So yeah, a couple years earlier. Okay. I wonder if that might have been an inspiration for this. That'd be interesting. I mean, I have no idea how much of that's actually in the book. Yeah. Uh, oh, if it's in the too. book, then maybe. But I probably not at this point, because I don't think the story had much reach hmm. in like the 80s. It's one that's sort of become more like repopularized. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I guess that that's another thing is like just because we know about it doesn't mean it was popular at the time or known at the time. There's this book, The Devil in the White City, that kind of really brought it back to 
uh, public attention. Uh, I, I think it's the main source they used in the last podcast on the left episodes. Good book, like one that I had read years ago. It's very, very good. Okay. A lot of stuff about the architecture scene in Chicago at the time, though. So not <laughs> strictly true crime. Right, right. So this is our first meeting with the Baron. He is watching them uh, through his CCTV as they as they play with the automatic sliding doors, not realizing they're imprisoned yet. It's great. Uh, yeah, the, the door. It's not an automatic sliding door because if you're watching, he's pressing a button to make the doors <laughs> open and close each time. And he's getting annoyed because they keep going back and forth and like, OK, OK, I get it. It's a novelty. Right. <laughs> Because it seems like they're the Star Trek doors and they just slide yeah. in, but he's pressing the button each time. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't notice that. <laughs> that's 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 way funnier. Yeah, that's it's it's so a very good funnier. bit. <laughs> uh, the Baron's beard is amazing. Like, it is magnificent. I mean, I get why he has this beard-centric worldview. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is... I, I have never seen a beard like that in real life. Yeah. Uh, we also meet his professor who is practicing launching rockets. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I love this. I'm like, hey, turn that off. I've got more important business. And so it's already st started to take off. So he just like reverses it and the film reverses. Which <laughs> the we, I love the smoke just comes back into the rocket. It's so great. Which we didn't mention that, that we have seen him launching off rockets before. It was the first uh, suggestion that the castle had something going on in it when uh, Count Teleka and his assistant were staying in the inn. And he's talking about, like, someone has reported that rockets are being fired off uh, in the castle at night. And we have our Count telling his assistant... Well, that's a silly thing, and that could never happen. It's completely unrealistic while it's happening behind him in the yeah. window. That's great. Although I like how they phrase it, like they phrase it in a, to sound like an old timey fairy tale, like mm -hmm. and like launching an arrow the size of a tower into the like a flaming arrow the size of a tower into the sky. Really, I mean, rockets do not exist yet. <laughs> yes, they they definitely definitely don't. We are about six decades away yeah quite quite solid length away so yeah. him yeah he was like well that's an absurd thing and he just has this dreamy look and it's him like his face taking up half the screen but then the other half is just the rocket taking off in a window far in the background <laughs> hey. that, that he doesn't see but yet whoever he's talking to would see that but absolutely oh well. yeah it would be his assistant watching him being immediately proved incorrect Oh, which, of course, I'm sure the assistant is quite used to seeing. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we also find out conclusively now that that Tom is the Baron's assistant. Yeah. And that it's like, well, why don't you? And he's like saying to the professor, why don't you have a good beard like Tom? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we, we have seen Tom out with his... Uh his surveillance device his surveillance <laughs> stick which is like it's, it's it's this tree branch with ears on it and a camera at the top ears the, the, the camera ears. shaped like an eyeball the camera is so, eyeball shaped but it, it's very clearly a camera if but i mean cameras didn't were not known yet so yeah 
and he's just like <laughs> waving it around because he's pretending to be mentally disabled. Uh, and the, the we cut to the Baron being like, "God damn it, hold it still, you jackass!" Because he's just <laughs> weaving around. Like, come on, we get it. Stop overacting. I know you know how to hold a camera. <laughs> <sighs> so gorgeous shows Felix uh, Salsa's body, but is like. No, but he's still trying to play it off like she's alive and just in a yeah. coma right now. Well, she waves, does she not? He's like she does wave. It's it's not that she's in a coma; it's like she's extremely extraordinarily ill, and if you were to come in, uh, it would kill her. the The strain would kill her, which in a sense is true. Uh, it is, yeah. Entering the room is what destroys her because it's a hermetically sealed environment in which her she's been preserved as an animatronic. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so this is building up to maybe my favorite part. Before they went into the castle, the, the Count told his assistant to go and get the police. <laughs> they, and they actually decided to call the police on the haunted house. Yeah. And I love the police in this because they're just... They're just know. marching there the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> and you know that when they get there, they're not going to be effective at all. They're just marching going... Policia, policia. <laughs> yeah, endlessly. Like we see them follow the entire path of the motor dress. Yeah, <laughs> just endless. Like the whole, like a, an extended portion of the movie. Just we're cutting back and like, yep, they're still on their way. <laughs> <laughs> and then they finally get there at the end. Like we're going to blow it up, and then they the castle <laughs> blows itself up. <laughs> uh, yeah so he's he's also got the baron's also got an operation going called operation robert devil which is a nuke he's making yeah. nuclear weapons yeah he, he has created <laughs> weapons of mass destruction he he tests it out like he does a roswell test yeah and, uh, and it's it just this up... tiny little bit of material and it's this gigantic explosion yeah it, it destroys though the stained glass window of salsa verde Right, uh, but you know what else it destroys that we'll find out much later. It destroys her chamber. Yeah, this is the the thing that like wrecks all the glass and uh, destroys the animatronic. So next time they go in, they just find the arm uh, mechanism yeah. and just dust and dust and like the, the teeth. Right, the teeth. <laughs> the teeth in like a vacuum tube where the sound is going to come from. Right. Ah. <laughs> uh. So they're trapped in their dungeon room again, but they've got like, I say dungeon. This is the like such it's a, a tea nice room. room that they're trapped in. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just in a tea room that can be closed up. But this is where yeah. he uses his incredible voice to shatter their way out. Right. Well, first he uses the golden Beethoven bust as a battering ram, which just does not because work. it's gold. It's yeah. just bushes the Beethoven. Yeah, because gold is soft. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he sings, he sings, and his voice like fucks up the mechanisms that's keeping him locked and a hatch comes opens up and comes down from the ceiling. Yeah, he busts up the mechanism, they get out. Yeah. And they find their way to I think Salsa's room and and find out what's happened there, where of course the the Doctor Fenisha or the Baron shows him like, okay, dig it. I know how to do all these recording techniques. I'm I'm ahead of everyone scientifically. And I've got all these papers and stuff, and you'll probably want to hang on to them. 
but I'm out of here. I'm done with this shit. (laughs) And I'm just going to leave the gates wide open so that when the police finally get here, this place will blow up with you and them in it. Yeah, it's just all going to go up. And then um, basically just all hell breaks loose. This is like a this is a silent film fight. And it's so hard. Everybody's just moving so fast. And for whatever reason, the Mad Doctor has some sort of grievance, or he has a grievance with the Mad Doctor. They have a falling out, so they're fighting. Uh, he and wants to. He's killing the. He wants the Mad Doctor to die in the explosion because he knows too much about his plan. Right. Right. And the Doctor and just won't doesn't die. want to do that. He's not yeah. into that, obviously. Yeah. So uh, they they start battling, and he decides he's going to blow up the uh, the the castle with the the baron in it and he starts destroying the tapes and the the film the like the last things like the last recordings he had of uh salsa verde yep uh tom tricks felix with a with a picture of a naked lady behind his beard which uh <laughs> or not felix fuck the forester the forester yeah yeah uh, which causes him to stop dead in his tracks, but uh, the scientist stabs him with the pointy end of a big bass violin. Right. He could just, like, run completely through with the bass violin, or maybe a cello? I think it could be a cello, yeah. I'm not sure I don't which. know my instruments. But yeah, he's stabbed clean through with it, which is quite absurd. Yeah, but he also accidentally stabs himself with his glitching cyberpunk arm. Yeah, or a steampunk arm, right? And just both of them dead on the ground, and then like we better get out of here. I think this place is going to blow, and it's like, oh, we better get these papers, or I mean, science is going to be set back years. Yeah, so they get out right, and like as soon as they're running away, they just hear coming up, policia, (laughs) get down, get down. The whole thing's going to (laughs) blow. And I love this bit. All the cops just jump up these trees. Oh like, yeah! I- immediately, automatically. <laughs> like, like no, no, we know bears. what to do. Get up the trees. Yeah, everybody is is clinging in, in the trees, and the whole thing blows. Yep, and because they were high up in the trees, they managed to avoid the rock slide that followed. <laughs> yep, great stop motion explosion. Mm-hmm. Totally outstanding. Blew up a. They blew up a castle. A model of the castle. They didn't have to do that for this, but they did. It's awesome. I mean that that is the Yuri Bradeka stuff again. Yeah. Him, him doing these really fucking rad effects. Uh, we find out. We catch up to what happened with everybody. Um, the book that of the professor's inventions was sent to the patent office, where it was eaten uh, by rats. Put in, yeah. Put into the best hands of science. It, yeah, eaten by rats. Yeah, it's it's just left on the ground and uh, forgotten. A bunch of mice chew it up. Uh, uh, Count Tuluke. Tuluke uh, of Tuluke. Yeah, he uh, he got his starring role. I, I love his swan hat that he wears. Oh, it's rad. That's and just a swan and, with the legs cut off. And he can fly with it. <laughs> uh, but he sings and brings down the whole house on him and he dies that way. Yeah, of course. And the forester basically just lived a completely normal life with his wife. And Yeah, he marries the wife that he was supposed to marry, even though he always dreamed of this of Salsa Verde. Yeah, but you know she's bewitched. super dead. Yeah, she's she was dead before he met her. 
Yeah. Now she's like really dead. She is dust. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that is it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I love the surrealist humor. It's much better than the humor in the actual book, at least <laughs> so far. Uh, West Werewolston is really putting a fine point on it, but I do find that to be a pretty funny joke, quite honestly. <laughs> I like it. Um, there's a there's a bit of the humor that doesn't land for me. Basically, anything Felix does, uh, he's he is very much like he is a silent film type, and they just play him as the boring hero. And there's not a lot more to him. He just yeah he he has his big opera voice. Yeah, uh, I I love I love the Baron. I, I like the mad scientist. I feel I like the mad scientist. Be, <laughs> I feel like he should be like forcing a dude and three robots in a space station to watch terrible movies. He reminds me of like a Captain Planet villain. Oh, totally. He's got a real Captain Planet vibe to him. But this is like ten years before any of that. So oh he yeah, feels, no, he's like super modern. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, yeah, it's not unlike the. Um, the Shulkin films, uh, you know, same neck of the woods, and they they feel yeah. that they really were ahead of their curve. And it's funny because it's a movie about this guy who's ahead of the curve as this, mm-hmm. you know, proto steampunk thing. But based on yeah. a book that came out at that real time and may have these steampunk elements, because Jules Verne is known for, you know, one of the main uh, steampunk yeah. dudes, you know, yeah, one of the like originators, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I I can't wait to hear how much he was and wasn't able to predict about the future. Indeed. I mean, I'll probably get through it relatively quick. I mean, it's it, it's just not great. I would be through <laughs> it. I, I would have been through it in the week if it had been captivating. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can't believe nothing's happened this chapter. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, any last thoughts on either of those features before we head on to our third and final section this week? Polizia, polizia. <laughs> on to part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week. And we're going to decide what we're going to cover next week. So what do we got on the docket this time? So we have 13 picks for our secondary uh, part two, whatever. (laughs) First one, uh, next one in the Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show box is Red Midnight. Uh, It is a nuclear scare film made by an orthodontist from Cape Cod. Uh, very homemade. It's mostly an exploitation movie about these terrorists destroying a small town. And it's kind of like half a, this guy, it's, it's him talking about urban planning. Okay. Uh, and him, uh, telling how he seems really concerned about houses being made of wood and being built too close together and how easy it is for a large fire to burn them down. And that seems to be a point that he just keeps hammering home and he's really worried about it. And it's Mm. a movie about these terrorists who destroy like 50 different cities all at once and they're going to overthrow America. Like (laughs) To an extent, it feels like it's a step-by-step guide on how America could be destroyed, which is (laughs) weird. Um, Interesting. (laughs) uh, Guy ends up getting nuked, I think, at the end. I don't remember. 
All right. <laughs> uh, next, Neon City, post-nuclear apocalypse film, obviously. Ah. Uh, starring Michael Ironside as a bounty hunter. Hmm, okay. So it's it's a post post Mad Max, you know. Right. But it's like really post Mad Max. It's like 91, 1991. So pretty late to the game. Right, right. You know, they they've done a lot of these by this point, and it's pretty late to it. Uh and it's it's an unpleasant post apocalypse. Like it's one that does feel pretty authentically just nasty and unpleasant. Everything's gross. Uh, uh, we, we open the movie at a dog meat shack. Ew, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's basically a Western, hmm. uh, like very consciously it's a stagecoach Western where, you know, a bunch of people get on a transport together and they're fighting through enemy territory okay. being attacked by mutants, uh, and weird atmospheric psychedelic events because you know it's post-apocalypse and there's just weird shit floating around. <laughs> you know, at right some point, it's like, uh-oh, it's lights, and we have they all <laughs> have to, you know, put on a bunch of shielding or they're going to go blind. It's weird. <laughs> I'm just imagining Pidback just shooing away the lights. Get out of here, you. Yeah, co-starring Vanity as the lady. He's you know she's the the bounty that he's transporting to neon city, just like the last bastion of humanity. Oh yeah. There's uh, always one of those. Yeah. Uh, and there's like this guy he previously put in jail, I think who's the guy who runs the stagecoach, and his name is bulk. And he's like a fake Stallone. <laughs> uh, next slip into silk. Uh, this was uh, the other feature on the disc with Amber Aroused. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so it's it's another porno. Again, catchy theme song. This one, not as high concept. It's this lady who has a late night talk show. And there's this other lady who's gunning for it. Like she wants the job and she's sleeping with the boss. Mm. So she starts to get concerned about her position. So she starts making her talk show really sexy and then okay. there's just like lots of scenes of people like listening to her talk show and having sex. And it's mostly just a bunch <laughs> of sex, to be honest. Like it's really well shot. The guy who directed it was a cinematographer. I think he actually shot one of the Adamson movies. I want to oh, okay. say it's one of the black exploitation ones that you haven't seen yet. Dynamite mm. Brothers, I think. <laughs> it's a good one. Oh, okay. Oh, man. We got to get into more Adamson. Absolutely. Next is We Kill for Love which is the very long documentary on the erotic thriller, the rise and fall of the erotic thriller. Okay. Because you don't really see them anymore. They don't make them. Well, they sort of do, but they I guess make they them. they don't. They're, they've become the Hallmark Channel do, uh, genre. Oh, well, that's basically not at all is the it same Hallmark? Thing. Uh, Stalked by My Doctor. The Stalked by My Doctor series. Oh, all is of those. it like showtime or showcase or something one of those maybe uh, i don't think it's hallmark but i could be mistaken it used to be hallmark there there's like a whole cottage industry of these uh here that's stalked by my doctor lifetime that's lifetime. what it is lifetime that's lifetime movies are, are sort of the afterlife of the erotic thriller you know they they strip out the Ex explicit sex and nudity because they're made for tv but they're otherwise the same genre 
but the the sex is really important and yeah they, there's just there's a point in the aughts where it reached a tipping point and they just started hiring porn stars for <laughs> most of it and it they just kind of became a softcore genre that was adjacent to porn like playboy was producing a significant proportion of them oh really okay all of which is got it like playboy through a couple shadow corporations doing like a bunch of uh the higher class ones in that era i mean it's, right. it's very interesting <laughs> it's super in-depth you get a lot on the whole scope of the genre talking to a lot of the stars a lot of the directors um uh tons and tons and tons of footage from all of the movies like it feels like a los angeles plays itself but after dark uh hmm. it's it's great but yeah it is quite long but uh i mean I, I was totally enjoying it the whole time cool cool next is filler up with super uh, this is a french road movie you got these uh, two dudes uh who there's there's an element of queerness there. There, there's a, there's an attraction. Okay. Um, uh, the, the one guy is, I think he kind of works as a sex worker on the side. It's like, you know, does, does some rough trade. Right. Uh, and this other dude, he works at a garage and he's about to go home for the night, but then he, like, I think he's going to go away for the weekend with his girlfriend, but his boss comes in and is like, no, no, I need you to drive this car to the South of France uh they're, they're oh. in the north of france it's like i need you to drive this to the south of france for an important client and like you, you got to leave in like an hour if you if you're gonna get there in time he's like well that it, sucks so i he, need you to come in on saturday and drive right. this car I, like i need you to come in immediately and go drive this car across the country I'm like ah well that sucks <laughs> and he goes home and tells his girlfriend she's very unimpressed because she kind of thinks he's gay right <laughs> and he calls his buddy who is kind of gay and the two of them decide like, okay, we'll go on a road trip. It'll be fun. And at the first rest stop, there's this guy who's just a raging asshole. And he's in argument with his father-in-law in a car next to them. And, you know, there's some, there's marital discord. I don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, but he gets in a fight with the father-in-law, the father-in-law leaves and he stands in front of their car and basically makes them give him a ride to the next town okay <laughs> where he meets up with a buddy of his and he's like i'm I'm sorry about that here i'll treat you guys to dinner and he they he buys them dinner and everything and then i think they end up forcing themselves like the dude and his friend force themselves along for the entire ride like for a while it like it's not exactly they're hostages because they're not holding weapons it's just they refuse to get out of the vehicle <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay <laughs> i mean a lot of it's just a road trip and it's just guys being dudes there's tons yeah. and tons of dick talk there's so much uh shit talk um eventually they do get to like the the guy makes them go to his wife's place and they wreck up the place and it's just <laughs> like he's a real fucking toxic asshole uh i don't know it's it's weird I, it, it's it's more just it is a road trip. It's it's very open-ended, very existential. Hmm. Next is Prospect, which is a recent uh, sci-fi Western. Again, uh, Western in, in the future in space. It's a very Pacific Northwestern Western. 
uh, oh interesting in okay i don't know exactly where it's shot i think it's uh shot in like seattle portland area um it, it's it is very distinctly pacific northwestern forests and that kind of greenness and the the moss so uh, there's this girl this teenage girl she is on this planet or she's on this expedition with her dad kind of seems like she's just been a working kid living this nomadic lifestyle it doesn't seem like he's the best dad hmm. <laughs> like, we don't get a whole lot of him because he gets killed pretty early on but it doesn't seem like he was doing a whole lot as a dad <laughs> right <laughs> uh pedro pascal is the guy who kills him oh okay uh, he he and a couple other dudes try to jump the claim that they're doing and it turns out there's like this huge huge like mega score that is going to be available there like they get it's this weird alien egg thing they're pearls that come out of the ground with these like milky white tentacles and stuff it, it feels like something from uh you know what i'm talking about right uh <laughs> that that french filmmaker we've watched both of his films oh it's like something oh, out of wild uh, boys Mandico, I think. yeah yeah it feels like a mandico thing except without the sexuality to it it's you know it's very cold very uh miserable pacific northwestern green and gray oh that's this this sounds interesting it's pretty cool so uh yeah she uh, the he tries to jump the claim the dad gets killed and then it's kind of the two of them are trapped on the planet together and it's like well we got to work together i guess uh like pedro pascal and the the teenage girl uh, and it, it's kind of funny he is playing a very exaggerated old west type like he speaks constantly very flowery language <laughs> <laughs> has sort of a weird cowboy accent uh oh man trying <laughs> to imagine pedro pascal with a cowboy accent it, like it is him doing an old west voice and it's kind of <laughs> odd uh yeah i mean it was it was pretty fun i i just really dug the atmosphere of it all a really great uh fairly fully realized uh space location like it's a it takes place on an alien planet with certain alien hazards but it's more just it's the pacific northwest with a lot of haze <laughs> hmm. yeah i dug it you saw annihilation with me right oh yeah oh yeah it's got kind of an annihilation vibe to it oh i loved that okay um you're selling me you're selling mm -hmm. me uh next is the terminator you've seen the terminator right i've seen the terminator you know i've <laughs> i've seen terminator 2 dozens of times but i mm. think i've only seen terminator 1 the once oh interesting i was completely obsessed with the terminator and terminator 2 as a kid like i had seen terminator before terminator 2 came out i didn't see t2 in theater because I was too young. <laughs> but I really, really wanted to. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't see it in theater either. Uh, I saw it later on. I saw Terminator 2 and 1 later on as a teenager. Uh, didn't see 2 until again until a couple of years ago, and I haven't seen 1 since. I saw 2 right, at, right when it came out on VHS, and I saw it, like, I rented it over and over and over again. It was, like, my favorite movie when I was a, like, young teen. Uh, and I had seen the Terminator on VHS prior to that because I was really into Arnold, really uh -huh. liked uh, Schwarzenegger's movies, and the Terminator was my number one. I had the novelization. 
of wow. the, the first and second book, the first and second movie. Read the shit out of them. I must have read the novelization of the Terminator like five or six times. <laughs> uh, nice. So, yeah, I love the Terminator. It's fucking great. Uh, I think it's only gotten better with time. You know, it's about the dangers of AI. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's about the capitalist system. There's some mass shooting stuff in there that is uh, still maybe all the more haunting now. It, it feels so authentic. Uh, and just it's it's the cyberpunk movie. It created cyberpunk cinema. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess so. Didn't it? Yeah. The fucking nightclub, cyber noir, the fucking neon, uh, the effects for the Terminator. I think Arnold is incredible in the movie. He is very convincing as a robot. And it's <laughs> not that he like, you know, people at the time definitely sold it off because he's a very robotic actor, but he isn't. I've no, seen tons of his movies. He's a charismatic guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I mean, on the screen, Arnold Schwarzenegger is great. Yeah. And he is very frightening as the android, uh, as as the cyborg. He, he fucking pulls it off great. Uh, yeah, I know it totally holds up. Hmm, right on. Good. Uh, next is one I watched with you. The Sword of Swords. What a weird movie. <laughs> um. I don't know if it's my least favorite of the Shaw Brothers films, but it's down there. It's a weird one because it's right in the area where Kung Fu is starting to become a genre, but it's not quite there because it's still a wuxia. Mm -hmm. But so bloody, like so comically bloody. That part where <laughs> Auntie's head hits the, the, oh, the stone yeah. step and there's just a hilarious Tarantino-esque fucking gout of blood <laughs> yeah but they're like so few and far between that it's always shocking when it happens it's, it is funny every time but yeah hilariously bloody for a movie where people are doing pretty silly wire work at times <laughs> you have your magical sword that creates wind and nobody's using it right our our hero mm -hmm. is the dumbest asshole i've ever seen he keeps making every bad decision he does nothing until he's everyone around him is destroyed for it yeah he um well his whole thing is like the master tells him it's like hey don't use a sword for personal gain so he just doesn't use a sword for anything that he might benefit from <laughs> which uh but it's not really it's not what personal gain it's no like it isn't removing personal loss he's losing yeah. everything for no reason yeah it's just he's an he's an idiot it, it's because he he learned kung fu because he wanted to hunt tigers with it and that's the only <laughs> he's he's kung fu is exclusively for fighting tigers guys i'm not here to hold on to this magical sword for you and then they destroy his entire life yeah because <laughs> of course if he doesn't have the magical sword, then the evil disciple will try to take it that well, he trained with. There's supposed to be this guy, Yellow Robe. I don't think we ever yeah. see that dude. No, he he does not. He is not appearing in this film. Stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, it takes so long for the guy to do anything. Uh, he never uses a sword. He ends up killing the bad guy with a regular sword, and his magical sword gets stuck in a tree. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I enjoyed the action, and there's a lot of stuff in it that I thought was pretty good. It's just, he's the stupidest idiot. I hate him. He's like the worst hero I've ever seen. He's, it's hard to articulate how bad he is, because <laughs> he's not even, 
he's incompetent enough that he should be funny, but he's not written as a comedic character. Yeah, there's not he's just really tragically much of, incompetent. Yeah, there's no real comedic element to the movie. He's just this magnet for suffering, and just everyone around him gets destroyed. And so the just to give him a path to be more heroically suffering, so that at the end he just has his ultimate self sacrifice. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's there is a a. Uh, complex to the jimmy wang yu films where he really loves being punished uh you know chinese boxer is him right yeah <laughs> where he gets uh his hands destroyed uh mm. midway through the movie oh anyway. he, yeah he goes blind in this and, right yeah uh so next we've got the heroin busters which was the other one in that uh rogue cops and racketeers set from Ooh. arrow the one with the big racket yeah yeah Right on. Uh, so same director, uh, also starring Fabio Testi. Cool. I like uh, him. Who, who was Nico Pamieri. Uh, so this one, he's an undercover. I think he's working for Interpol, and he's an undercover drug smuggler. If he's working with Interpol, I want to see a movie where him and Santo team up. <laughs> right. That would have been rad. Uh, it's David Hemmings. I don't know if you... A British actor, David Hemmings. Um, Sounds familiar. He's in tons and tons of stuff. Uh, around the time he had recently been in Blow Up, which was pretty big. Hmm. Um, but anyway, he is the guy uh, who who's his connection. But they're like super deep undercover. So they can't let anyone know that Fabio Testi is a cop. So he keeps getting arrested and they keep just blowing it they don't really have enough of a plan to get around any of this stuff they <laughs> have him break out of jail with a junkie and the junkie's supposed to get him to the right people and oh, uh, they just keep screwing up it's one thing leading to another not unlike sword of swords except they're kind of actively trying to do things they're just failing at it most of the time uh, mm. but you know constant violence and action like totally nuts uh, they're you know so many chase scenes so many shootouts uh because they don't have much of a plan other than i guess we'll figure it out along the way and you gotta pretend to be a criminal <laughs> all right uh climaxing with uh the guy the bad guys getting away in a plane so uh fabio testi sees a running plane on the runway and <laughs> jumps into it and is like, I can probably learn to fly this thing, and he chases the bad guy down in a plane. <laughs> Crazy shit. Uh, right on. <laughs> uh, next up is Varda by Agnes. Uh, this is... Uh, this was the first film, the first thing at the top of the stacks. Yes, this has been on there for, well, since the beginning. Yeah, it has. I mean, I, I think it wasn't at the top before because I think no. I watched the one that was at the top before last January. Uh, Carol <laughs> was before it at one point. Yeah. And uh, the uh, whichever Fellini one uh, is at the beginning of that set. I, I watched that last January and that was before it then. Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> This is a documentary. It is the final film by Agnes Varda. She was 90 when she was making it, and it's sort of her reflecting on her career. Okay. So it's her looking back on her whole filmography, um, 
giving her thoughts on certain films, giving uh, some background on why she made certain artistic decisions. Uh, she'll kind of suddenly like she'll be doing a talk at at the at MoMA, the Museum of Modern, Modern Art. Mm hmm. And then she'll show a film clip and then she'll be in the film location, like the original location. And then she'll do one of the camera moves that she did there that she was explaining why she did them. And then she'll go over there and like, hey, look at this. It's one of the actors from the film. And then they'll have a conversation about why they did uh, like their their ideas about the movie, her talking with all her collaborators and stuff. It's great. Cool. Also her talking about just her activism. There's quite a bit of uh, stuff about uh, her work with uh, poverty, uh, like her documentaries on that. So she's a very big documentarian. I really like her documentaries. Uh, in the early 60s, she was in Los Angeles and she hung out with the Black Panthers and did a documentary about them. Oh, that, you just reminded me of that cartoon that we watched. Oh, right. Yeah, we we watched a couple episodes of Sir Clean, the, the Danish children's <laughs> show, uh, uh, including the Black Panther one, which is which I, I discussed a while back. It's fucking crazy. That one's a trip. <laughs> but uh, Agnes Varda, I, I did send you a, a short clip from this where it was her recreating a political cartoon she liked. Where it's oh, all these people yeah. marching and she recreated and had everybody marching and doing like a big protest. And then it's her down on one side saying, I hurt everywhere on her, <laughs> her <Right>. sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you know what Varda looks like? She kind of looks like Edna Mode. She's this cute little lady, um, cute little French lady. And she just, yeah, she's, she's very adorable. Uh, so her hanging out with the Black Panthers is fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there There's one part where she, she became really obsessed with potatoes. <laughs> uh it, for a couple years and then she did a thing called Potatootopia. And it, it's like an art installation featuring all sorts of video art of potatoes. And uh you see her dressed in a potato costume. It's truly one of the most delightful things I've ever seen. She looks so mm. happy in her potato costume. <laughs> Great. Ah, right on. Next is Velvet Smooth. This is a black exploitation feature. I also sent you a clip from this because uh, <laughs> the fight choreography in this, it's like a backyard ninja movie. It really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that was something. People are not connecting. Uh, and mm. the, you get just really long distance shots of just a lot of people having uh, weird fights. It's like, oh, I guess <laughs> she got him because she's supposed to get him and then <laughs> consistently once one of the guys is down she stomps on his balls every time like there's so many ball stomps in this movie it's very funny it's <laughs> it's a plot not unlike the big racket where you have this gang of baddies in leather masks and they are like it's a multiracial gang and they're just attacking harlem shopkeepers right. and stuff and robbing and i don't know it, not a very clear plot, uh, but this lady, Velvet Smooth, she gets a couple other ladies together and they're going to fight back against the bad guys. And obviously they do. And they, you know, they got to knock over the kingpin. And it's a, just a bunch of very silly action sequences like that. Hmm. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun, but it is badly made. <laughs> <laughs> Great locations. Because like it's legitimately shot in Harlem. 
you know, and oh, they're right. just like cool. on the actual rooftops and streets and alleys and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Oh, right on. Uh, next is hippie porn. The next one is <laughs> the uh, John Moritsugu boxed terminal terminal degeneration. That's the one that I mentioned last week. It's like uh, for the next 75 minutes, we're just going to be drinking wine and complaining about life and being annoying <laughs> assholes. It's true. Uh, it's so fucking Gen X. It's like the most Gen X thing I've ever seen. It, it is literally just like it's these kids in art school. And they are bitching about their lives most of the movie. And there's this one girl who is just sort of gradually torching her life at art school. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, she destroys everybody else's art exhibits and she gets kicked out of school. And that's sort of how it ends is she has to go home. Uh, but like a solid five of the opening 20 minutes are just like them shooting uh, a dead cat. So it's very oh. unpleasant. <laughs> oh, I don't want to see that. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I did not think so. Uh, but it's also just it's obnoxious. Uh, it. I I remember people like this from this era. Uh, I I was, I was not this age, you know, because I, <laughs> I I was, uh, you know, this is ninety one or ninety two, uh, so you know, I was like eight or nine around then. But I knew teenagers who were like this, and they're it's just they're fucking obnoxious. <laughs> and I mean, it's the same youth scene because it is Pacific Northwest. I think this is Seattle or Portland or somewhere around here, West Coast. Uh, great soundtrack, though. Fucking awesome soundtrack. <laughs> mm, I bet. <laughs> I'll give it that. And last is The Ticket of Leave Man, which is the next Todd Slaughter picture. Oh, uh, he plays the tiger, who is this guy who goes around robbing and garroting people. Cool. Uh, and he realizes that the heat is on him. So there's this dude who he knows is an ex-con and he kind of frames him and disappears into a new personality as a guy who runs a fake charity, which they've done a couple times. I feel like they're kind of trying to debunk charities or kind of. Make, make charities seem uh disreputable uh -oh. <laughs> uh, i mean it's it's like 1937 so i don't, I don't know where things are at at this point but uh yeah, me neither uh so the guy comes back later he gets out of jail again and he goes out he he runs into him again and he decides hey, i'm gonna ruin this life guy's life again because the guy's got a nice job and he forces him to rob a thing with him but then you know they set a trap for the tiger and I don't know. It was okay. <laughs> it was fine. Like like a lot right. of these Todd Slaughter ones, it's like they're fine. Hmm. So what do you okay. figure from those thirteen? Uh, well, I definitely want to try uh, that one where they're on an alien planet. What is that? Prospect. Prospect. Uh, and I want to see. I want to see Varda by Agnes. I want to All see right. what that's about because that clip intrigued me. Yeah, and it'll be a good introduction to her work. Uh, I mean, okay. I've, I have seen most of the movies in the set previously, but I haven't dug into the set, so I do want to dig into all of it eventually. Uh, so, you know, good introduction to see, uh, get an idea of her style and her humanity. Uh, interestingly, her first film was edited by Alain René, oh, uh, director cool. of Last Year at Marienbad. So she kind of did the first French New Wave movie. Oh, neat. Uh, and then, you know, Rene does Marion Bad a few years later. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Right on. All right. So um, 
And yeah. those two? Yeah, that that I, w- I was thinking about Terminator, but it'll uh, come up again. It'll come up again. Definitely maybe, come up again. Maybe on a slow week. It's fair, fair. So we have a bunch of additions and a lot of moves. Uh, first up from the Lost Pictures show is Violated. Uh, this one's like a really nasty exploitation feature from what I hear. Uh, a rape revenge mystery. There is this guy uh, going around town raping women and carving swastikas into them. Oh. Yeah, super trashy. Oh, Sounds, uh, wow. Original title was The Rapist. Oh, <laughs> so, ew. Sounds like it's going to be a pretty fucking nasty one. Uh, uh, I might pass on this one. You just <laughs> may. Next is Nightmare, which uh, is also known as Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. This is oh. one of these really crazy Italian slasher movies from the first wave. Uh, so it's 81. There's this dude who has schizophrenia. Uh, I think he killed his parents with an axe as a kid. And then, I mean, it's, it's doing Halloween. He He's let out from a hospital and goes just nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's grimy 80s New York, like shot on location. Or maybe it's not actually there, but I, I think it's supposed to be based there. So definitely right. evocative of the grimiest of uh, Grindhouse 80s New York. Cool. Uh, next is Warm Blood. This is a fairly recent movie. It's uh, My understanding is this kind of a found footage thing where it's like, it, you know, found footage uh, as a concept in rather than uh, recreating or anything. So it's based yeah. on they found a teenage runaway's diary. Okay. May not have been mentally well. I'm not sure. And it's sort of a weird found footage thing based on the ramblings in it of just the crazy people that they've met and uh, crazy things that they've seen, like a, some sort of murder mystery. All right. It sounds fucking rad. Uh, next millionaires express. This is a Samo hung, uh, big fucking action kung fu thing uh it's about the this uh government train full of millionaires that a bunch of bank robbers hit okay <laughs> like a, a big gang of bank robbers so it's like a kung fu western oh, like a nice. train robbery thing oh that sounds fun uh and i think just like everybody like it's it, it's got cynthia rothrock i think jackie chan is maybe in there i know uh, Corey oh, wow. Yuen, um, obviously Sammo Hung, Yuen Biao. Uh, so big, big cast. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> uh, next is The Leather Boys, uh, which is, uh, I think it's maybe the movie made just before Ip Crest File by Sidney J. Fury, same director. Mm, okay. Uh, so it's a sort of British kitchen sink realism film about this young married couple and they kind of rushed into marriage one of them is like literally a teenager and she's married this kind of cool older guy who's in a biker gang but he might be a little bit gay right okay and he's he's in this biker gang and he's maybe much more interested in his best buddy Hmm. also in 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 the biker gang i think it was rated x at the time but it's you know not sexual it's right it, it, it mentions gayness so it had to be an f. oh 
can't let children know about that. <laughs> That's kind of where things are going in the U.S. right now. <laughs> Certainly in Florida. Oh, yeah. Next is the Iron Prefect. This is a Plesiotaski period picture. Uh, so it came out in the late 70s, but it's set in the 20s fascist Italy. Ooh, oh, I haven't seen anything that takes place in fascist Italy, actually. Yeah, so under Mussolini, Mussolini appoints this guy as to be the Iron Prefect in Sicily and try to crack down on the mafia. Nice, nice. Uh, it sounds crazy. Uh, <laughs> next, La Pointe, Co uh, La Pointe Court, uh, which is the first Varda film. Uh, so it starts with the documentary, and then the rest of the set, I think, is semi-chronological order. Okay, cool. So very new wave French film. The, it's this married couple who are, it's not going well. It's sort of the uh, Leather Boys thing. I, I don't think there's a gay element. They're just, you know, in this remote fishing village in Set in, in southern France, and they're just, you know, unhappy. Uh, I recall a lot of cats, mm. just cats mm. hanging around all the time. Varda loved cats. So there's just cats all the time. All right. <laughs> I don't recall liking it very much, but, mm. uh, I saw it a long time ago and I might enjoy it more now having seen a lot more of the French new wave. I think it's more just at the time it was not as, uh, striking as some of the other French new wave had seen like, uh, Godard and, uh. Uh, Rene. Hmm. Next is Terminal USA. That's the next one, the John Moritsuku box. Uh, okay. This one sounds like it actually has a plot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, it is a Japanese American family. Uh, the mom is stealing morphine from the terminally ill grandpa. Uh, oh. this, the sister is sleeping with the lawyer for the family. Uh, the brother is secretly gay and has a thing <gasps> for Nazis. Oh, no. Uh, and the other brother is obviously a junkie. And then it is just a all one evening uh, family collapse movie. <laughs> uh, so total chaos. Uh, and last edition is Sexton Blake and the Hooded Terror, which is the next one in the Todd Slaughter box, as you may have expected with the title like that. <laughs> Uh, Sexton Blake was kind of a Sherlock Holmes ripoff, you know, dime okay. store Sherlock Holmes. Uh, obviously, yeah. Todd Slaughter is playing the fake Moriarty in this, <laughs> who is a famous stamp collector and millionaire. Uh, and oh, <laughs> they're associated with uh, Tongs, so the the Chinese mafia. Oh, cool. Uh, so since I did the very first item in the top, and we're still doing the uh, New Year's resolution stacks, covered something from. The first row, the very first item. Uh, so we're also going to be picking some from something from the top of the stacks, from the first three rows. So anything from scenes from a marriage to afterlife. All right. Well, there's there's some in here that I've been eyeing a little bit uh, over over time. And uh... I mean, to our credit, some of these were like from the past year added. So like, we oh, really? have it, I think so. Like on the Holy third shit. row, I feel like some of the stuff from the third row. Was... You know what? I think you might be right. Yeah. So we've been going through it pretty well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but you know, I, Ooh. well, I, right now I'm looking at 
Dog Day and Figures in the Landscape because they both have helicopters on the cover, and I don't know why that's what I'm interested in today. This is the only combination there. Dog Day is another Lee Marvin film, by the way. Uh, it's a French film that he's in from the oh. 80s. So, you know what? I bet Lee Marvin is one of those guys who looks exactly the same in 1968 as he does in 1984. You'd be correct, yeah. He he pretty much looks exactly <laughs> the same. I've seen Dog Day before. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hell, let's let's do that. Let's get another Lee Marvin on the go. All right, Dog Day. We're we're diving deep into Lee Marvin. Three three weeks with uh, Lee Marvin pictures. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, Dog Day, aka Canicule, uh, nineteen eighty four film by Yves Boisset. Uh, so that, as well as uh, Varda by Agnes and Prospect, uh, probably an Ultra Q, most likely. I, I I'm not right. sure, but most likely. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I like that we've added the Ultra Q into the mix. Uh, I think I like that we're doing this. Yeah, they've been fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, well, do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Yes, I'll be back. <laughs> we're not doing the Terminator, but we should do the Terminator sometime. We, I, we talked about it. I, I am going to rewatch the whole Terminator series, which is going to be a bummer because oh, the first two I'm are sorry. incredible and then everything after is total fucking trash. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, maybe, well, maybe then, when you do that, we could do Terminator Corner. That's kind of, I think we'll, we'll come back to the start and we'll do one and two, maybe after that, to uh, wash the palette of those yeah, oh. latter day ones. Uh, or maybe I want to choose one of those. You may, you may. Some of them might be okay. Like Salvation, I remember being not bad, hmm. but only not bad. I saw that in theater, but I have not rewatched it since. That's the one with Christian Bale, and that it's in the future, and he's John Connor leading the resistance. Oh, I've only ever seen the third one, besides uh, the first two. Yeah, the third one is meh. I, I never cared for the third one. Uh, I feel like the third one uh, goes directly against the spirit of the second one. Like, actively subverts what's great about the second one, anyway. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the, I... I barely remember how it went, but I remember hearing that argument a lot at the time because I saw that one in theaters, uh, number three. Yeah, although to be fair, I think there was also like a a David Foster Wallace article making the same complaint about the second one in regards to the first. So I don't know. Hmm. All right. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, we'll see you next week.